Hello, welcome to episode number two of True Cult Pop. It's a podcast about music. I hope you're well. Thanks very much for tuning in. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Stephen Hill and joining me as ever, my compadre in pop. You like I see that? What you've done there. You've put pod, you've put I know, pod yeah. in the words True. that already exist. That's good, that. Compadre yeah. in pop. Very nice. Yeah. Very much the Dwight York to my Andy Cole. It's Sam Slight. How you doing, Sam? I'm all right, mate. Uh, I'm, I'm knackered. It's been a busy old week between this and the real world as well. Um, I might, you might say I've been working like a Japanese prisoner of war. <laughs> you but, might say but that. A happy you might. One. <laughs> yeah, very good. First Alan Partridge referencing straight away. Straight That's what on. the people want. Do you get that? You as um, Dwight York, me as Andy Cole. That's a sort of football thing. I don't know if you would have got oh, that. Yeah, big time, big time. You got no, that, did no, you? I didn't, yeah. No. no. Well, it basically means um, you slept with Katie Price and you don't see the kid. <laughs> That's what it means, essentially. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's uh, not bother too much about Dwight York here on the podcast. Before we go any further, I just want to say, hey, thanks very much, everyone who listened to episode number one. It was a bit of a shocker. It was a bit of a rush job. It was a bit of a surprise kind of branding and release of the podcast. But we got to number one on the iTunes and Spotify music charts in podcast form. Obviously, not just in fully in music. I think we're still number one in uh, in Spotify now. I'm going to just... We are. I've just checked it myself. And in top music podcasts in the UK, we're number one. On iTunes, we're number two now. Bloody Bjork. Won't be reviewing her album, <laughs> knocking us off the top of the charts, idiot. Uh, we also got to number one in Norway and Poland. They know what's good for what them. Are those? They know what's good for them. They do, yeah. <laughs> they know exactly what's good for them over there. So thanks very much for checking the show out, guys. You can actually check the show out. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Deezer. So if you want to find it, well, you're listening to the podcast, aren't you? So you don't need to find us. <laughs> That's maybe the stupidest thing I've ever done, Sam. I've just said, oh, if you want to listen to this podcast that you're currently listening to, this is where you can find it. Pause it, go and find it again and start again. That surely will count as a new play. So, I think so, yeah. I That was a might, might be the stupidest thing I've ever done. Uh, well, what an idiot. Maybe, maybe. I don't, I I think it's up there, isn't it? To, to say to someone, you know this thing you're listening to right now? <laughs> go and listen to here's it. Here's where you can go and find it and listen to it. Well, you found it, haven't you? Obviously. But anyway, look, thank you very much to everyone who left a comment or a review or whatever. We've got, we got one star on uh, on the Apple podcast already. Nice. Um, thanks very much. I don't know who that <laughs> was, but uh, you know, I have a few. We'll, we'll look into it and then we'll beat them to a bloody pulp is my plan, Sam. Well, I think you can do that and I'll kind of stand and sort of lean around the back and just go, yeah, every few seconds or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a good I idea. I feel like sums up but the dynamic. Hey, yeah, I think it does. Anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for doing that and for getting us to the top of the charts. It's really, really nice. And we will try and reward you with a good show, which is what we're going to do this week. We're going to be talking about... A lot of alternative stroke indie bangers and catching up with all of the stuff that's come out that we think is worth talking about from that world, sort of. It's quite broad, a little bit broader mm. than maybe last week when we were doing Pure Pop. Uh, we're going to be talking about new albums from Pixies, Suede, Orville Peck, Life, Ken Mode, Sports Team and Wargasm. Yes, and Wargasm, the UK one. Yes, mate, the UK one to that bloke <laughs> on Twitter who just continually goes, Wargasm are actually a thrash band from 1985. Yes, mate, we know they are, but that's not the one that we're going to be talking about. Plus, there's a big release coming up as well. Slipknot have a new album out, so we've chucked Slipknot in there as well. So kind of a fairly 
broad selection of records there I yes think. broad strokes and i think uh well spoiler alert a mixed bag i think it's fair to say a pretty mixed bag yeah if you would like you can go to our patreon page and sign up at patreon.com forward slash true cult pop with the v's in the correct places that's t-r-v-e-c-v-l-t-p-o-p and you can sign up for our your cult pop tier which is where you get to suggest a thing Anything you want, really. We're going to mostly be doing albums, really. Mostly going to be doing albums, but you can suggest something, and Sam and I will dissect and discuss that thing. We have one coming up on a Saturday, this coming Saturday. If you listen to this podcast on Friday, so that'll be tomorrow. We're going to be talking about Take That's Progress Records, which should be quite exciting. Ooh, yes. Robbie's comeback album, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Robbie was like, oh, I'm too good for Take That. Oh, they're playing stadiums. <laughs> oh, can I shock you? I like Take That. That's basically the story of that album, really. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you feel like stretching to our true classic pop uh, level, then you can sign up for £5 and you'll get two extensive podcasts on two albums which we consider worthy of classic status a month. So the first one of them has just gone up and it is on Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon which we spent three hours discussing yeah and a couple of days ago probably could have gone for another 90 minutes to two hours to be honest but i think uh i think we gave enough of a broad stroke and did i i felt did justice to what is essentially well well it is a masterpiece and one of the biggest albums of all time um yeah i'm i did say to steve afterwards i was like ah i feel like i've shot myself in the foot a bit by making that my first proper pick like one of the biggest albums ever but i think i think it went pretty bloody well i had fun doing it and i hope people have fun listening to it well i certainly had fun listening to pink floyd i mean i love pink floyd i love pink floyd yeah. particularly you know from dark and we've i've spoken about pink floyd on various different platforms over the years quite a lot but i really do like pink floyd a hell of a lot particularly the dark side and you know that kind of i guess eight year period mm. of dark side of the moon to the wall that four album run i just think is absolutely staggeringly staggeringly brilliant and going back to dark side of the moon which uh, i don't know i feel like i sort of maybe had been taking the album for granted a little bit because it is like it is the most famous one it is the most iconic one but good god good lord that is such a brilliant record and going into the story of it and trying to really find things to say about it that different perspectives i think mm. is what I, we always sort of try to go like what's the different sort of perspective we can find on this record and i think we probably did it a little bit we did it a little bit i mean there's maybe stuff if you're a massive floyd fan that you'll go yeah i knew that yeah i yeah. knew that yeah i knew that but i think we at least tried to give some sort of different perspective which is really difficult because like you say it is one of the it is one of the most iconic famous records ever made by anyone ever there's no other record that you could put and go next to dark side of the mood and go oh that absolutely dwarfs it that is nothing compared to x album like it's one of the biggest records ever and it's great it's so great it's yeah <laughs> staggeringly brilliant as you say it's just it's the it's the best pink floyd for me definitely so it was nice to do Ooh. a deep dive into it uh, well, you know, that's something we discuss a little bit more on the show. If you want to know my thoughts, it's not actually my favourite Pink Floyd album. But like I say, go over to patreon.com forward slash true cop pop and you can sign up and have a little listen as to the the where's and the why's as to why that is. Uh, anyway, before we go any further, let's talk about the songs that have been in our head this week. Every week we pick a song that has just got multiple plays, multiple rotations 
in our mind that we cannot prize from our mind. Even in a week like this, when we're reviewing eight different records, there's usually some song that you go, oh, I'm just going to quickly put that on. For me, if you don't mind me going first, not Sam. A, not at all. Do you know what? Do you know what's an underrated thing in music? Laser beams. An underrated tool. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've already told you that. So, yes, laser beams. Lasers in music as a sonic tool, I think, are really, you know, you think Flash by uh, by Queen. Bring this back, Warlock and Ajax, to bring back his body. Pew, 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 pew. Like, that sounds cool in music. Uh, if you've watched The Darknesses, I believe in a thing called Love video. Pew, pew, Justin Hawkins. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 pew. All that, yeah. Using that in music, yeah. yeah. All that, love all that, mate. (laughs) Absolutely love all that. Not gonna lie, I don't care if it makes me look like a toddler or sound like a toddler. I like it, so I have picked one of the best uses of lasers in in music and a great song in its own right. Sylvester and Patrick Cowley's classic "Do You Want to Funk," the nineteen eighty two single from the pioneer of electro Cowley and the late great. 80s funk soul icon Sylvester who was known as the queen of disco in the 1970s Sylvester Mm. this song is taken from Sylvester's sixth album All I Need which came out in 1982 as well the song reached a paltry number 32 on the UK singles chart back in 1982 you can listen to the single version the radio edit which is decent which is three minutes and 29 seconds long but you want that long six minute 47 full version of that song that is where the party starts for me sam this is a this is a beautifully brilliant high energy early 80s disco banger of the most epic proportions it has got about seven different hooks Mm. it has got the sort of rhythms that would make a crunkled old skeleton like you know you see them skeletons hanging in the corner of biology labs if you put this song on near one of them skeletons its hips would start just thrusting forward slightly because <laughs> that rhythm is just so brilliantly inescapable this is not sylvester's biggest hit that would be 1987's you make me feel 1978 sorry um you Make Me Feel Mighty Real, which was later covered by Jimmy Somerville, of course, and got to number eight in the UK in 1978. But I'm going to say it. This is the best song. The production, the slink, the do you want to funk? If you want to funk, let me show you how. That is, <laughs> that is like so, such a great line. He's so in charge of it. And the lasers. Who couldn't fucking love that? It's so it's so instantaneous. It's so brilliant. It's got such a great rhythm. I like I I love this period of music. I love that kind of Detroit, Michigan, San Fran, late seventies, early eighties, high energy, pioneering electronic music mixed with kind of disco and gay club culture. Like I love all that and. This is as good as that ever sounded to me. What a banger. What a banger. It It is definitely a banger. So, I mean, you said this was the song you wanted to, to cover because it had been rattling around in your head. I'd never heard this before. Uh, this is a new one on me. And from the imme- the drum beat that starts off, it's like, well, that, you know, that would later be done again by Pet Shop Boys and Always On My Mind. It's like, brilliant. Love that. Yeah. 
yeah, um, literally the drum pattern, not necessarily the sound, but even the sound has got that yeah. kind of like quite mechanical kind of steely production on it. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. the the jabbing kind of jaunty disco synths. It's, it's people often describe music as infectious. This is properly just like instant earworm. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, <laughs> I love everything about it, and I think the thing that I like most about it is listening to it it was like yeah i can see steve just wandering down the streets of overton or whatever you know swinging his fists and his hips and whatever just having a bloody lovely time asking to anyone on the street do you want a funk because i'll show you i'll show you do how. you want a like, funk you know i can yeah. show you how if you want a funk let me show you how yeah mate so great so great and i don't know if you got a chance to watch the video for it sylvester looking amazing in an all sparkly spandex kind of onesie with dyed red hair sylvester's like a really interesting character as well like released some great music was obviously very very big on the gay scene the the love and affection that people had for him as well i think is something that i wanted to talk about really Mm. quickly because as so many of his community did in the 1980s he contracted aids uh during the mid 80s and that was what led to his death in 1988 and um he had to be pushed in a wheelchair down the street um just prior to his passing at the gay freedom parade in 1998 and later that year just before he died in the castro street fair in san francisco they which is a big kind of parade they do in san francisco every year they changed the entire name of the parade for that year to attribute to to Sylvester and he was too ill to actually attend oh. the parade but the crowd were chanting his name so loudly during the parade that he could actually hear it from his bedroom window down the street and i think that's you know that that Sam and I for those of you who are kind of newbie listeners or whatever Sam and I um are basically we kind of come from the rock and metal background sort of scene essentially right and rock and metal like to go we're the best scene and we're the this is the biggest community and da 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 and i think like the more i kind of move away from that and the more that i really you know because this would be a song that i used to that i remember and i used to listen to but i didn't really know about sylvester that much until i started sort of looking into it and listening to other albums and i would talk like i've got a friend who's really like an encyclopedia of this era of music and this type of music and she was like yeah like totally beloved character and you start to understand that this idea that oh this particular group of people who like this particular genre of music we're much more passionate about it than other people we have a much more community spirit and blah 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 and i i just don't think that's true and i look at stories like this and i go i don't think that's true at all i think everybody who loves music i think hence why we've gone like forget genre it doesn't matter you know the 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 gay community of the 1980s and the music that came from that scene and songs like this, which like you say, so infectious, such an earworm, so joyous, the kind of joy de vivre, the sort of the 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 infectious energy and delight mm. at just wanting to funk, <laughs> essentially. Like is is so pure and beautiful. And yet this was it came from a community of people who, you know, in the eighties the the level of homophobia was unbelievable revolting and they were being attacked by this disease that nobody really knew and yet the music that comes out of it 
is so infectious has such a like lust for life and yeah man i think it's like it's a wicked it's a wicked song and sylvester as a character as a personality and as a person within that community i think is 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 great as well and i think yeah that they made some really really amazing music and i think this is just such a it's, it's a very brilliant quick snapshot of something really really cool mm. i think uh, it, it's a beautiful kind of <laughs> yeah I say kind of emblem of that unfettered hedonism but not in a self-destructive way it was just that as you say that lust mm. for life that absolute joy that people were experiencing in these close-knit communities that were persecuted and subjugated at the time um and i didn't know that well i didn't know the story of sylvester at all to be honest but i particularly didn't know this story about the um the parade sort of chanting his name and everything. that's that is so beautiful that's really moving the idea that you know he was unable yeah. to uh, make it but felt the impact of how he had impacted these other people it's like that, that's a really touching story i think that's that's lovely it's awesome i mean if you've never really got into this type of music if you've never really listened to it if you don't know that much about it it is an absolute treasure trove mm. of stuff um for you to listen to and i would say this is not a bad place to start it's a great song i can't imagine any human being with an ounce of sort of joy in their hearts somewhere wouldn't find themselves sort of thrusting their hips along to do you want to funk what a tune absolute tune i've listened to it about a thousand times this week uh, <laughs> anyway um what about you sam what have you been listening to i have been listening to bringing him up once again i've been listening to a song called skeng by the bug from his 2008 album london zoo you love the bug don't you i bloody love that there bug. kevin martin oh gosh don't put him in snogberry avoid it will get very very messy <laughs> has he got has he caught norovirus off of Godflesh? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well well as as we have covered he has um collaborated with uh well certainly justin broderick many times over his career so i feel probably don't need to go too deep into the um background of the bug as a musician um but london zoo was really his kind of breakthrough release um so as i say com comes out in 2008 um apparently was being kind of crafted and recorded for two years prior to the the eventual release of the album in in june of uh, end of june of 2008 um and the bugs kind of mission statement for making this was really taking all the all the kind of hyper dub and dance hall rhythms and stuff that he grew up with essentially as a as a man in weymouth before moving to london um he has many collaborators across his albums because he does not provide vocals himself we covered absent rhythm his latest project a few weeks ago and that was a whole host of characters filling in and doing their take on a single beat that ran through the album and here um on skeng in particular he enlisted the help of killer p and flodan to london-based grind mcs now it's funny talking about this kind of well talking about do you want a funk and the community that i you know i have never particularly been exposed to because to be honest the bug is my first exposure to a lot of well hard grind music and dub and hyperdub and dancehall and stuff like that and this song in particular has just jumped back into my head as a real standout it's not even the biggest song from this album the biggest song i believe in terms of spotify plays i think across the bug's career is poison dart which also appears on this record but um for me skeng it's got this kind of i mean when i first heard it, i was like jesus this is dark like this is a really violent nasty song and then the more i've listened to it you start to uncover a weird kind of i don't know wry smile behind it and funnily enough, in the lead up to this, I think the day we recorded last week, The Bug actually posted an article that had been written on Red Bull about the making of 
um, London Zoo, including a specific section on Skeng, because it has become quite an iconic point in the record. Um, so I found this quote from him, um, which kind of says how it all kind of fell fell together. It wasn't necessarily a planned thing. So he invited Killipi and Flo down to his studio, and they'd recorded a song that they were, you know, down to track and everything. He then just had this rhythm on in the background. And Killer P turned around and said, what's that? That sounds like Wu-Tang. I absolutely love that. I want to do something with that. And he just sort of put the headphones on, stepped up to the mic and started, well, improvising. So that phenomenon one, phenomenon one, phenomenon one that you hear at the beginning. That was just him testing the microphone to get the levels right. And that became the basis of the lyrical theme of the song. Um, Kevin Martin himself has said, the irony is that Flo Dan didn't want to do Skeng. He turned up at my studio with Killer, who I didn't know too well. And that was a surprise. They recorded a different track that didn't end up being on the album. Uh, and I remember Flo Dan wanting to clear off. I think he had lady action planned or whatever. Don't know, really. Uh, and he certainly wanted to get the hell out of the studio. But Killer was like, oh, what else you got? What else you got? Um, and then it, it basically just kind of fell together from that. Apparently, none of the lyrics were written down. It was basically entirely improvised. And um, Kevin's kind of closing statement on it. We were literally on our backs laughing at the lyrics. It was the ultimate in dark humour, which... I'll be interested to get your take because I didn't feel much humour in this the first time I heard it. But then he says, which is funny in itself, given how much shit I was given on dubstep forum and places for the lyrics because I was supposedly glorifying violence and all that. Such bullshit. Aren't, uh, are lyricists in the area of grime not allowed to write about upfront violence or is it only Bob Dylan and Nick Cave that are allowed to uh, write about noirish pulp violent realities? Mm, that's a good point yeah yeah, um, yeah i mean I, I mean i didn't laugh at this song i've got to no, no. <laughs> I, I didn't find it that funny but i tell you what i did like it i mean it is an absolutely great like, i i really like the bug and i've only sort of been exposed to any of his work since well since you sort of sent me the the album that he put out last year with fire which i thought mm. you thought was great i mean that is a brilliant record and yeah this is so dark and i when i put it on i was like wow this it sounds I thought, oh, did did I miss this on on Fire? Because Fire is a dark mm. and album, and you know is pretty brutal thematically. But I didn't realise it was going all the way back to two thousand eight, which you know I had no I I had no idea. And you listen to it and you think like, oh, you know, early grime and stuff. And I know you what you sent it to me. You sent it to me on a on a Spotify playlist. It was Grime Origins or something like that. I think it was called. I can't remember what it was called, but. It was on that. And I did sort of think to myself, it's like, wow, this feels way more like just incredibly brutal dubstep dance hall, mm. not dub, not dubstep, sorry, sort of dub dance hall um, kind of thing, right? It's like real, real, real deep reggae, yeah. you know, like really, really bleak, dark, harsh sounding dub, which I love. Like, again, you know, super heavy, but heavy in a different way to the kind of heavy that when people say heavy to you and I, they usually mean a certain thing. Like we're about to talk about Slipknot. Yeah, they yeah, mean yeah. that. This is really, really, I mean, I'd say this is probably heavier than anything else. Ooh, well, <laughs> maybe there's one yeah. thing actually. Uh, but this is one of the heaviest things that we'll talk about this week. And yet there's no screaming no. on it. There's no shouting on it. There's no distortion really on it. It is just... It's just pitch, but it's just lots of different shades of dark blackness, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it, yeah. I think it does definitely um, come down to the kind of the depth of the production because those sub frequencies in the bass are so low and they really do kind of just like reverberate in your head. You're not even necessarily listening to it as much as you're feeling it. But then the trade-off between Killer P and Flow Down and the kind of, I don't know, the ebb and flow of pace, you know, there's times where Killer P is just 
absolutely spitting like these lyrics out a million miles a minute and then it comes back to flow down and he's kind of calming it down but in a very very threatening way it's like you'd be in the pub with him and you spilt his pint and like killer pb sort of going i don't know a bit mad at you and then flow down just put his hand on your shoulder and just go careful sunshine and it'd be like Ooh. proper good cop bad cop definitely vocal definitely. performance in it like for real and i also yeah. love the use of uh the sparsity on the track so the bit where it gets to just before the final sort of chorus um where flow dan's talking about um uh well pooper in a suit and mum in a frack is how he puts it you know people attended <laughs> a funeral for someone who's been murdered where it's just him and there's just a very very light kind of bass drum thumping away and it's like oh it is chilling um do you know what a skeng is by the way steve i don't mate no no it I is don't. a jamaican derived term for a knife so oh. yes it's it's about beating and gouging your rivals as any good pop song should be <laughs> yeah absolutely good uh there you go by the way it is actually the biggest bug song on spotify oh, is it? Oh. you said poison dart poison dart's got two million seventy thousand two hundred ninety eight listens skeng three million one hundred and sixty seven thousand four hundred and seventy four listens so over a million more listens I'm sh- for that song. Fair, fair enough i'm sure when i was getting into the bug which to be honest was last year with the release of fire i'm sure poison dart was bigger but fair enough i'm glad that skeng is getting its dues as an absolute belter because it might be my favorite bug song it's between that and pressure off fire which also features flow down but yeah there's some good shit on his stuff like go and listen to the bug everyone it's good for yeah, it's good flow, Danny. He's good as well, by mm. the way. Um, right, okay, cool. Let's move on. Let's do some news. Tape watch. <laughs> we were speaking about cassette. <laughs> I don't know how long this is going to go as a feature, but last week we were talking about cassette tapes. And I mugged you off right royally for buying a cassette tape. And I said, well, the last cassette I bought was Things Can Only Get Better by Dereen. Or maybe it was Boom Shake the Room. Can't remember, but it was something like that. Whereas you bought one a couple of weeks ago. Uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, but I have bought one more recently than I confessed last week because I forgot. I yes. forgot that I'd bought the um, the sort of demo version of As Days Get Dark by Arab Strap because it came out on cassette tape, and I was like, I'll buy that because I get the digital version as well. And I'm a grotty little collector when it comes to bands I absolutely love. So, I mean, that is an album worth having on multiple formats yeah. it's one of your favorite albums ever it, isn't it? yeah i mean it is top 20 yeah, it, i believe 19 it's clocking in at, at the moment um certainly my favorite album of the decade so far i think it's absolutely mm. staggeringly good and yeah that explains why i have got the digital version and an lp and i bought a cd for a friend and i've now got the cassette tape of the demos and the digital version of that because i'm a little bit obsessed i think i need help well mate i've got music for the masses by depeche mode on vinyl three times Mm, lovely don't need don't need it to be three times i've got really. two lp copies but of i've got low it. by david bowie actually thinking about it yeah we're 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 uh what's the word i'm looking for nerds i'm yeah. basically sort of nerdy collectory type people often um yeah anyway but here's an interesting thing ben martin got in touch with with us with me as well and particularly said oi Stephen hillboy on twitter <laughs> if you want to follow us on social media by the way go to we just type in true cop pop on facebook you can find us there the same on instagram and at true cult pop spelt as we spell the show on twitter if you want to follow us or whatever but ben martin hello ben thank you very much for listening to the show appreciate that he said love the first episode mate now as far as cassettes go 
They're having a massive resurgence at the moment, particularly among the underground metal folk. The cost and time frame of vinyl releases means cassettes have become far more viable for small bands, and the production means bands can sell them for under 10 bucks, which makes them really good to sell at gigs and on Bandcamp, and they don't have to commit to big runs like vinyl. For a physical copy of music in 2022, they make a bit of sense. I hadn't actually considered that, to be honest, Sam. I was thinking about it purely from a consumer point of view and going, well, who has a tape deck? today but i guess like you say if you are oh i want to support this band particularly like like ben says underground metal mm. folk underground metal bands are not particularly flush with cash are they but yet you may well want to go out and buy some of their wares i mean i can't even i still can't even get the bloody i can't get the genesis of wusu or the dave album that came out last year on vinyl f- at all i can't find oh, really? them anywhere so yeah, I know it's really annoying. And that's sort of two, well, one incredibly big mm. artist and one sort of upcoming artist. So, you know, if you're Bog Frogler or whatever. The My favourite. Death metal oh, band. I was going to say one man black metal, death. actually, but, you know. <laughs> one man black metal band, Bog We are Bog Frogler. <laughs> Worshipping uh, my bog. Yeah, if you're, <laughs> yeah, if you're that band, you're going to struggle to get your vinyl and you're going to have to commit to it. And I'm sure there are enough people who f- follow Bog <laughs> Frogler to, um, <laughs> to, to want to buy their, their vinyl, but they can't, but they want to support Bog Frogler. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, I get, I guess I can see, I'm going to concede there that I hadn't thought about it in those terms. Maybe it is a good idea. Maybe they are worth having as a medium. I think they're worth having. I mean, as I said last week, I mean, yeah, to be honest, the reason I bought that Nothing Clean split on cassette was just because, well, they, they don't have massive runs of merch. I already had the two T-shirts that they they were putting out at that time. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, here's a fiver for something. And they were like, oh, you know, the cassettes are fiver. It's like, cool, I'll just, I'll leave that to gather dust on my shelf. But I've put some money in a band that I really like's pocket. So yeah, I think I think it does make sense in terms of, as you say, production side of it, I didn't really think of it in that terms, in those terms either. I thought nothing clean were just doing it because they're underground and quite kind of willfully antagonistic. But you know, if it makes financial sense for a band to do that, uh, they got to make money somehow, haven't they? They just got to make money somehow. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I can't imagine the, I can't imagine that anything's blowing up on the Bog Frogler TikTok page right now. Well, you haven't looked. I haven't looked. I mean, I think because I've actually just invented them as an artist, I think. I can, I'm pretty confident that there's nothing on their TikTok page. So I don't think it exists. I don't think they exist. And I don't think I need to check. Well, I think we'll come back to this next week and see if you prove him wrong, won't we? If we get a tweet from <laughs> the, Dan- the Danish blackened death metal band Bogfrogler, who are like, how dare you deny... Sully our good name. Shall I Google Bogfrogler right now just to see what... <laughs> if you like... Bog Frogger. It comes up. Frogger Big Boulder Alley. That's not what I've said to at all. Big Frogger. It says showing results for Big Frogger. So there you go. All right. They don't appear to be a band. They appear to be some sort of Nintendo based thing. Frogger. You remember the game Frogger? No, you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I do. What do you mean, of course you do? Well, from the 80s. You don't, rem- I, you don't okay you okay, I don't remember it. it I know of the game Frogger and I have played it yeah because mm. I am a nerd actually so <laughs> okay fine <laughs> yeah I mean that's fine uh let's move on and talk about a few other things that have happened this week that are quite interesting Mel C lovely Mel C favorite Spice Girl Sam who's your favorite Spice Girl 
Ooh, gosh, how do I count the ways? I mean, uh, probably the one who she has said is not a Spice Girl would be my favourite. Bloody love Thatcher, don't I? You, oh, oh, right, okay. Yeah, well, she's not a Spice Girl. Come yeah, on, you can't. don't dodge your question. All you right, can't, um, I'm not having this. I'm not having you dodging who your favourite Spice Girl is. The people have a right to know about this stuff. Uh, you know, it's not something I've ever given much thought. Uh, I don't know that I really like any of them. I'll probably go with Mel C because, you know, as you have pointed out, she's been to sick of it all shows. So yes. by, by default, better than Jerry Halliwell. <sighs> I mean, Jerry Halliwell was my dream woman as a as a teenage boy i loved her but she's not she's not well she's not the best is she? <laughs> she like, uh, i was days. curious how you were going to get around that yeah. well i mean you know <laughs> she said some things so anyway mel c's been interviewed recently apparently the spice girls uh, or, or mel c wants the spice girls to play coachella oh yeah in that which would be interesting um in 1986 jerry halliwell famously dubbed margaret thatcher the first spice girl she said to the spectator we spice girls are true thatcherites thatcher was the first spice girl the pioneer of our ideology girl power <laughs> right right now mel c however uh, has come out years down the line 26 years down the line in an interview with the independent saying absolutely not jerry in the past was very vocal about the support for margaret thatcher i'm from liverpool it was a name that was not celebrated in that region there were never the thoughts or feelings that i shared people knowing me from the things i do are quite aware of what kind of person i am i don't i don't think people think i'm a raging tory uh she then said there have been a couple of times in my career when i've been nervous about going home and that was one of them yeah um so, I mean, I I hadn't thought about this for a very, very long time of Jerry Halliwell saying that uh, Margaret Thatcher was the first Spice Girl, which would have made, I think, would have made the Say You'll Be There video somewhat less aesthetically pleasing, shall we say, yes. had Margaret Thatcher have been there in the desert in her pants. <laughs> but, um, oh, God. Yeah, not the best. No. But. <sighs> I don't really know. I just thought this would be a, you know, it's a weird thing for Mel C to, to bring it up 26 years later. It is really odd. I mean, is this part of some sort of campaign trail where she's just trying to get salacious headlines? Um, I don't know. It's just really odd. But um, but it does make me think we could have lived in a very different world if Margaret had gone and done a rapped verse on If You Want to Be My Lover. So Could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, the thing is like... It, no, they wouldn't. I mean... It, <sighs> I think, obviously, this has been playing on Mel C's mind for quite some time. I think it's clearly, reading between the lines of this, what she's saying is, shut up, Jerry Halliwell. You, what have you done? Because the people of Liverpool, as I'm sure most of you are aware, and if you're not aware, let me tell you, they are not happy with uh, with that particular government at that point. No. And I don't think that Mel C would have been welcome back as she said to Liverpool with open arms sort of hanging around with someone who's like oh I'll tell you he's brilliant and just like us the person you most hate <laughs> out of everyone who's ever lived ever that is uh that is not a good look for her so yeah it's good that she's set the record straight it's a shame this has taken her 26 years to do it poor bastard is having to like hang on to that like just sort of push that down down and down into her gut for years and years and years and years but you know there we go. Um, apparently, they're going to do another reunion tour, but without Victoria Beckham. Okay. Uh, again. So, they might be doing that. Do you feel Victoria is integral to the sound of the Spice Girls? <laughs> yeah, she's hardly... I mean, we're going to talk about Pixies in a minute. She's hardly <laughs> Kim Deal. She's hardly Kim Deal, is she? But, um, no, I, I, 
I don't really think I don't really think she is. I don't actually think the Spice Girls have got many good songs. I'm not gonna lie. I I can't recall loads of them. I mean, they were big when I was an infant, kind of thing. Uh, I remember the film Spice World, um, and that it's was not a great film. Not that. good. No, no. I think any film that has Michael Barrymore dressed as an army lieutenant making the Spice Girls do army drills to the sound of Gary Glitter. I think it's fair to say that that hasn't aged well. Yeah, yeah, I think that is fair to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Anyway, um, let's move on. Let's talk about Ian Brown. Oh, let's. Ian Brown's been in the news this week because oh, yeah. he's not very good live. Now, I don't, <laughs> I've had to check that this was a headline from this week as opposed to 1996 to be honest because <laughs> i'm not sure ian brown's been good live for a very 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 long time if ever if ever um but there was a big sort of social media backlash when ian brown did a gig at the o2 academy in leeds on the sunday just gone 23 songs set 45 quid for a ticket you'd think oh what's wrong with that you're getting to see ian brown a lot of people annoyed that he didn't play any stone roses stuff People who know me know my thoughts on this. I like the Stone Roses a lot. I love the first Stone Roses album. Obviously, I think there's a couple of tunes either side of that that are great as well. But for me, Ian Brown's solo material, at its best, is excellent. The equal, if not better, in many ways, than much of the Stone Roses' back catalogue. I know and I am aware that that is a controversial thing to say. I don't care because I think Fear, Whispers, Dolphins Were Monkeys... Um, keep what you got absolute bangers as good as anything anyone in that band has ever done and I I will die on that hill Sam I will die on that hill you'll be dying alone because I don't like Ian Brown in any way shape or form I think he seems like a right tosser <laughs> okay well yeah I mean look mate you just sent me a, a picture of the latest behemoth Nurgle's a tosser but oh, we, yeah. we were still like he can write you know they got some good songs yeah, all right. Oh, you you use logic to defeat me there. That's not fair. I know, yeah, I have. That's not yeah. fair. Yeah, I know. Um, look, Ian Brown, he's got some good solo material, so I would be like, well, what's the problem? I wouldn't go and see Ian Brown and expect solo material. Just like you shouldn't go and see... Oh, God. Uh, well, using someone that we've been talking... You wouldn't go and see Robbie Williams and go, oh, why is he not playing Prey? Mm. Or do what you like. Well, no, he's not playing that. But why is he not playing Take That songs? Well, he's not, is he? Because he's gone solo. He's doing something else. So you shouldn't expect that. So I was a bit like, well, what's the problem? Yeah. And then and then I saw that what the problem was. Ian Brown did a set, just him. No band, just a backing track. Now, this is a more common thing in modern pop and hip-hop and other types of music. But I think if you go and see Ian Brown... You expect a band, don't you? Yeah, and I would imagine most of the people going to see Ian Brown would be the kind of people who would deride pop stars for doing that, saying that they're not real musicians. So it probably puts them in a bit of a pickle when they have to look at their hero doing the thing that they likely malign. But uh, I would just say fair play to Ian Brown's manager for at least paying for the um, Spotify subscription without ads, because that would have made it even worse. <laughs> yeah, it would have been really bad, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, he, he's managed to uh, to plumb that. Now, people were saying that his voice wasn't good. And this is, again, where I have to take issue with people moaning in 2022. This is a bit like those people who are turning around and saying, oh, to Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, oh, when did you get political? <laughs> when did Ian Brown's voice get bad? 
when he was born, he can't. Cr- when he was a baby, he couldn't cry in tune. <laughs> Ian Brown cannot sing. I saw Ian Brown at Reading. I want to say nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand and one, somewhere around. I cut it in the in the midst of time. Let me tell you for free, Ian Brown's voice was pathetic, Un- unbelievable. One of the worst live vocalists I have ever seen. Makes Burton C. Bell sound like Luciano Pavarotti. <laughs> unbelievable unbelievably bad and you know obviously i also saw the original or the the first iteration of the stone roses the last ever gig in red in 96 and again you can go and watch it on youtube ian brown is abysmal mm. he's abysmal and as much as like i like i say i like ian brown's solo material i like it a lot i think he's got at least three really really good albums I would, 45 quid to see Ian Brown. I wouldn't pay 45p. He could have Led Zeppelin with Jesus on drums backing him and I still wouldn't go to it because Ian Brown is one of the worst vocalists that has ever, that has ever lived. Back in track for the band. Get back in track for the vocals. I'd rather he mimed and played with a live band. Just played his vocals. I'd rather have a sock puppet of Ian Brown <laughs> miming along to his own songs than actual Ian Brown. It's mad. Like, uh... Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, at that point, I don't know. Well, I suppose I would say, oh, at that point, you just cancelled the show, wouldn't you? If the, if the backing man not turned it up. But then, I mean, look at the social media response. It's got Ian Brown's back in the headlines. You know, it's probably probably going to do a little boost for his Spotify numbers or whatever. So, you know, profit on that. Profit on that mistake. Yeah, 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 definitely. He did have a couple of people sticking up for him, though. Go on. Uh, who should come to his rescue? Than Sleaford Mods. Ah, did you see this? No, I did not see this. Lovely Sleaford Mods tweeted, Ian Brown's solo stuff has always been more hip-hop and beat-orientated, so his new setup works. It's not like he's Black Sabbath or something, is it? <laughs> he definitely no, it's not, isn't. Because unbelievably, Black Sabbath have got a better vocalist, <laughs> which, yeah. which is either someone who can't sing or someone who's dead, <laughs> and they're still both better than Ian Brown live. So yeah, you've got a point. He's not, he's definitely not Black Sabbath. I mean, that thing, he's more hip hop and beat orientated. Oh, I don't know that you can just suddenly go after like 25 years of always playing with a band, suddenly go, I've just noticed that my solo material is much more like hip hop. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm going to be like Skepta. I'm, I'm, I'm just like Skepta, yeah. aren't I? <laughs> 60 year old Ian Brown in a tracksuit like shuffling on stage you can't the mind boggles Sam I mean everything about this just says you know put it in the bin yeah ridiculous bin it all get rid of it all burn it all down it's a shame that it's a shame because he like you know again can recommend Ian Brown's solo stuff on record cannot recommend Ian Brown as a man (laughs) as a live Um, proposition as a live proposition, no. Uh, so there you go. Those things have been happening. Let's chat about some releases and some music which has been out or is coming out or is out today if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out. Let's start with a big one. Slipknot, the end so far. The seventh studio album from the Iowan Metal Legends. The follow-up to 2019's We Are Not Your Kind album, which I thought was a significant step up from the previous, well... 15 years mm. of recorded material that Slipknot had put out. Uh, Sam, are you a Slipknot fan? Very, very much so, yes. And where and how would you rank the Slipknot back catalogue as a fan? 
So, my top spot does flip between Volume 3 and Iowa, kind of week to week. I find it quite difficult to separate those two because they do something absolutely fantastic um, in very, very different ways. Obviously, Iowa, an extreme metal album, and then Volume 3, I suppose, them delving more into rock territories whilst maintaining that kind of ugly metal sensibility. Mm -hmm. So, they would be fighting it for number one. Uh, I would then have the debut behind it. I think the debut... Obviously, I mean, the first, the run of six songs is some of the best metal that has ever been put to tape. It's absolutely incredible. I am one of those people who does feel it is just significantly enough front-loaded that it puts it in a kind of runner-up position for best album. Because while the back half of the album, I think, is really good, and I've grown to like it a lot more in the intervening years, there was a good portion of my life listening to Slipknot where it was, you get to the end of Spit It Out, and then you'd hear the start of Tattered and Torn, and you'd be like, right, stop that, and go and listen to something else. After that, Spine shank or something, presumably. Yes, of course. Uh, up for a claw finger, mm. actually. If you ask <laughs> Yeah. Um, after that, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, because for me, the three albums that follow Volume 3, so All Hope Is Gone, 0.5 The Grey Chapter, and We Are Not Your Kind, I think are all much of a muchness in that none of them I enjoy front to back. I think there are some great moments across all three of them. Um, I have actually picked out uh the tracks that i really go back to from each of those albums uh if you'd like to hear them i'd love to hear them so, yes and i think this is going to cause a bit a kind of bed of consternation for this review because um i think steve and i are going to disagree quite a bit for possibly the first time ever but my picks for those albums would be from all hope is gone i'd have gematria the killing name the sort of first track proper and then that run of Sulphur, Psychosocial and Dead Memories. And I am definitely a big oh, a big defender of Snuff. I think Snuff's a really good song. I know it's a divisive one in the Slipknot camp, certainly when it came out. I think it's great. From Point Five, The Grey Chapter, which on reflection would probably... Oh. Now, I think I do prefer it to All Hope Is Gone. I think I would have All Hope Is Gone bottom at that mm -hmm. moment. The Grey Chapter, I would have Sarcastrophe, AOV, and The Devil and I. I think they're all great. And then Custer and The Negative One, I think, are some of the best heavy yeah. Slipknot songs in... Well, I mean, that came out in 2014, so the best heavy Slipknot songs for me, yeah, probably since... Like, proper heavy since Iowa, I would say, because they are properly heavy. Yeah. So, yeah, like them a lot. Yeah, uh, Custer's great, man. Custer is Custer's great. awesome. Really big fan of that. Um, then We Are Not Your Kind... There are only three tracks I really, really go back to, but I think they are absolute top-tier Slipknot, which would be Neo Forte, Spiders, and Solway Firth. Solway Firth and Spiders, absolutely, for me, yeah, total top-tier. I, I mean, in, in like, I would go as far as to say Spiders. Um, I love, I, I really like Unsated as well. Neo Forte and Solway Firth, yeah, I think... Um, I would say Spiders, particularly, that's my favourite song on that record, and I would say that is the the best Slipknot song post-Volume 3. Uh, I would find it difficult to argue with that. Yeah, I think Spiders is a phenomenal song. Fucking excellent. And Unsainted is great, I think. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on this. I think Critical Darling is pretty good. I actually, you know, I like We Are Not Your Kind. Again, it's not a perfect record, but I think sort of six records into your career. Um you know from a band as big as that a band who lost their lead songwriter and had sort of put out a fairly patchy i think point five the great chapter is fairly patchy yeah. and i think they came back with a really good album in again very very trying circumstances so overall just to kind of back you up yeah the first three slipknot albums i think are all excellent just just 
clearly classic excellent records mm. i think point five the gray chapter has a couple of really really excellent moments on it i think we are not your kind is consistently the best slipknot record of the three i would that have come that. out yeah. per post volume three and i think the high points are as high as some of the stuff on slipknot iowa or volume three but i don't think it is consistently as high a bar that it doesn't reach the bar that is as high as that consistently. But when it does, it can. It's the only one that can for me. I think mm. even when you chuck in Devil and I, Custer, Psychosocial, I don't think any of them are as good as anything on the first three albums, personally. Oh, I've got a lot of love for Psychosocial because it was the song that got me into Slipknot. But I think it's in, a banger. In, in, in objective terms, no, it's not as good as like Left Behind or something. If you're taking a banger from one of the early albums, it's not as yeah. good as that. It's not Duality. It's not Wait and Bleed. Yeah, fair enough. I I, I kind of never liked social, so, so, Psychosocial particularly. And then over years of hearing it again and again and again, and it just kind of becoming a really, really big song, I ended up really liking it. I ended up mm. thinking like, oh, this is massive. But I have to say, for me, All Hope Is Gone is a turkey, is the worst Slipknot album by a long way and i cannot imagine slipknot ever releasing an album as bad as all hope is gone ever again in their career i think it is a one album pony i, I think i think all hope is gone is rubbish absolutely rubbish is i think there, it's crap is there nothing you like on all hope is gone then i quite like psychosocial i mean i think you know i think snuff's rubbish i think the title track is terrible i think Geh you, you mentioned gehenna it's uh, too long. Gematria, I, I went for. Gehenna, oh, I'm Gematria. not so keen on, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's way too long. Oh, yeah, Gematria, ugh, again, it's way too long. Sulfur, I think, is... Sulfur and Psychosocial, all right. I think Dead Memories is boring. I think Butcher's Hook is the only other one where I'm like, eh, it's sort of all right. But And I, I just can't remember so much of it. I just... Mm. It's not a good record. It's just not a good record to me. It's one of the most disappointing records ever for me. I think it's it's not good but anyway that's some context that brings us to this record the end so far i think it's hard to know considering all that context it's always hard to know what you're going to get with a new slipknot album i really didn't expect that much from the last one due to the two previous ones being quite bad and me not really liking the slipknot album since 2004 and i was pleasantly surprised which i think has raised my expectations and raised the bar for this record a little bit i also thought well look what are we now? It's 23 years since the debut Snipknot album came mm. out. Unless you're one of those people who count Mayfield, kill, yeah. kill, repeat. Oh, come on, lads. But if you are one of those people, fine. It's 26 years since the debut Snipknot album came out. It's a long time, right? And at this point, the genetic sonic makeup of Slipknot as a band is so strong, is so instantly recognisable that you're only really going to get some kind of variation on that theme at mm -hmm. best. And I think that's fine. I think lots of bands are in a similar position, not just in metal, but across the board. I mean, we've got a couple that we're going to be talking about straight after we finish talking about this. But I have to say, the opening song, Adderell, really took me back. It's pretty much a full-blown pop song with these lovely piano parts and strings and do-what backing vocals. And I doubt it's the sort of thing that most Slipknot fans want. But I thought it was an excellent way to start the record. I would agree. I was really, really shocked when I put this record on and Adderall was the first track. I 
definitely didn't expect it. And, you know, Slipknot have done about turns before. I think Prelude 3.0 off Volume 3, you know, in the wake of Iowa, that being the first thing people heard when they put on the album, that would have been a hell of a sideswipe. I think this is not quite as seismic a jump, but it is very, very different to anything they've done before. Um, Kind of starting with those plaintive, plucked kind of sitar-like keys almost. And then when the guitar, I assume it's a guitar, comes in, it sounds a bit follow the leader, doesn't it? Those kind of like winding guitars, those yeah. kind of drawling high-pitched notes. I like this song. I think it's a brave one. I think it's a good one, actually. It is a little bit too long for my liking, because although I suppose that more comes down to... It's not really a fair Rob to beat Slipknot with, because they always have a kind of intro track before the first track proper. And so I think I'm still in the mindset that this is an intro rather than the first song. But it is good. Mm-hmm. However... And I know you're not going to like this. There's the little stabbing choir in the background as the song kind of builds towards its crescendo, which I think is really good. And I mean this as a compliment, and you're going to take it as a massive slight. It reminds me of Survival by Muse from The Second Law, which has a very, very similar trick to kind of build that grandiosity and tension. I don't know what that is, to be honest. Oh, you'd hate so, it, mate. You'd hate it. I probably would, wouldn't yeah. I? I mean, it's Muse. I would be very up very annoyed with myself if i didn't hate it but um but i genuinely i don't i'm don't i'm not aware of that song so i'm not gonna get too kind of uppity about it to be honest well that's fine i mean that was a another point of comparison and i think you know that we could be listing corn and muse as kind of uh, possible kind of bedfellows or points of comparison on this song it's cool it is definitely something different and you know as you say i think the bands this far in they can rest on their laurels and do the kind of the slipknot formula which i think they do do for a fair bit of this album um to kind of diminishing returns often i find um so i mean how do you feel about the the heavier song should we say so like warranty for me is the first point where i'm like well this is slipknot by numbers i've heard this done much better on all of your previous albums um and it kind of it really highlighted the formula to me of latter day slipknot which is you've got why well formerly Jordison's, now Weinberg's drums, doing a kind of like beating snare that kind of builds an intensity and Corey will have his phrase that he says a couple of times and it gets a little bit more angry each time. It's like, oh God, it's going to kick off and then it doesn't really and it feels a little bit phoned in on this one. I mean, how do you feel about that? I think there are peaks and troughs on this record, which essentially this is two kind of variants on the slipknot that we have come to know and either love or tolerate because for me a song like the dying song it's pretty standard slipknot but it's got some really cool layered vocals over the top of it mm. and it's heavy enough for me to go cool chapleton rag starts with that kind of old school first album drum and bass thing and i think sid wilson is an element in slipknot that has been scandalously underused over the past 15 years or so yes and so I liked hearing that. I liked hearing that drum and bass thing go into those sort of blast beats. It reminded me of early Slipknot. And I was like, I'm I'm perfectly happy with that mm. because they, they haven't really sounded like that in any elongated amount of time for, for ages. But then there's stuff like Hive Mind, which is the first time where I was like, see, this is the one where it just feels like a lot of bluster tagging onto some radio chorus mm. it just feels like they went we've got a kind of chorus that will fit on the serious xf whatever they're called those kind of american stations that play this sort of thing these big kind of you know rock on the range style american radio rock bands get that chorus and then just put some sort of slipknotty stuff around it yeah and it's not really 
there's not enough craft to really make me go oh this is essential slipknot but then there's stuff like medicine for the dead which i absolutely love i think it's a banger it's the longest song on the record it's got a big chorus but Corey isn't doing that Corey taylor has unfortunately often found himself i think i would wouldn't go as far as to say as Corey taylor's been phoning it in but i think Corey taylor has found himself he he's found a little niche for himself where he can do that that kind of voices voices people make voices that mm. that voice and then going to like that kind of thing and he just will flip between the two and on that song he doesn't do that he isn't really belting it out but it's quite melodic it sounds kind of melted riff wise it's got a kind of 90s metallica black album sort of feel to it so it does sound like the sort of thing that would go on radio but it also sounds a bit weird and a bit you know a very untypical slipknot sort of thing and just i think just because of this song medicine for the dead and adarel alone make this record better than all hope is gone just just those two songs alone mean that it's better than all hope is gone as far as i'm concerned i think it does run out of steam a little bit towards the second half of the record but even then you've got a song like h377 which has enough pure brute force and power to make that work i think the last two tracks are a bit of a come down after that mm. and i think this quite frustratingly flits between slipknot sounding ragged and ravaged and broad and using all of those nine elements that they have to work with and slipknot just doing the kind of slightly more heavier radio rock thing it's slipknot doing slipknot stuff it, basically it is but then there is also some other stuff in there uh like i mean acidic i think it's probably the low point on the album for me it's got this kind of i don't know weird they've really tried to make the riffs gel together so you've got mick thompson doing the kind of heavy palm mute stuff and then you've got jim root doing his power chordy bits that are sort of sliding around and, and you're slightly off kilter key and everything but then you've got Corey's performance on it, which has got a kind of road weary gunslinger feel to it, which I, I it just doesn't gel for me. And then, I mean, the two solos on it. I mean, like people say, Corey phones in. I mean, those solos are phoned in. Like Jim Root does his kind of melodic bit that doesn't really share any phrasing with the rest of the song, and then he does his shreddy bit. And then Mick Thompson basically just the same thing, only instead of the melodic bit, he's got some Kerry Kingisms where it's just a load of feedback and noise and like whammy bars being knocked about um i think that song is properly rubbish um i then think heirloom i find just as annoying because it starts with sid having a more prominent role as you say it's really nice to hear sid more on this album but i think when he is used it tends to be on songs that i get a bit underwhelmed by because you've got that you've got his kind of trademark scratching and it's got it does hark back to the early days of slipknot which were brilliant as we've already covered and then you basically just that's bolted onto the front of a stone sour song and i just don't think it works at all um to be honest i mean for me after medicine for the dead there's not much i like on this album at all i think the back half of it is especially weak i think the first four songs so like adderall i think is really good um i actually really like the dying song and it's funny because the dying song and chapel town rag i think mirror um the release strategy of we are not your kind because chapel town rag is the kind of equivalent all out life I loved All Out Life and I really don't like Chapter and Rag because it feels like a pale imitation. Whereas when Unsainted came out, I was like, oh no, I don't like this. I mean, this is the album they're saying is going to be their next Iowa. And this is the kind of lead single I was like, I mean, they're just talking out their asses. Like, I don't think it's 
I think it's awful, but Unsainted is one I've never got on with. Whereas the Dying song, I've had the chorus for that stuck in my head from the second I first heard it when it came out as a single. I think that is really, really smart. don't think it's an amazing song, but it has got a hell of a hook on it. And it, I think the apex of this album, my highlight would be Yen. So typically with the Slipknot album, they do the quiet kind of brooding one, the weird one, which I think they do do again with Medicine for the Dead. That's usually the bit where I do find it's a necessary pause, but it always kind of loses me a little bit. So like Gently on Iowa or Tattered and Torn on the debut, I think do just take me out a little bit. Whereas I think Yen, it balances the kind of quiet, dark melodicism they can do with the heavier stuff. I think Yen is the best thing on this album by quite some distance for me. If I were ranking it uh, in, in their back catalogue, because I <laughs> am more forgiving of All Hope Is Gone than you, though, I might put this as my least favourite Slipknot album. I don't think there's a massive distance really? with it, but it's probably my least favourite. And I think, like you said at the start, it's like coming off the weight of expectation of We Are Not Your Kind being really, really good. I think I was hoping this would be continuing that trend and it just doesn't for me. It all feels quite quite ha- haphazardly put together, which is something that Jim Root has actually come out and said Jim Root has said he feels like they've rushed it and it sort of shows what is happening in the camp there these days a little bit. I mean, really, it shouldn't be taking a band like this, I don't think, so long between music releases. I mean, we've seen it with, you know, three it's three years. So this is the, the, the least mm. distance, least time between albums since Iowa and Volume 3, right? So, you, you know, pretty much the same time between Ramstein albums, pretty much the same time between Korn albums. Um, I would say that both of those bands have probably done, have probably been more successful with what they've tried to yeah. do with the follow-up albums uh, that they've made than Slipknot have. But then I also think Slipknot are probably the biggest one of those three. No, I mean, are they bigger than Ramstein? Ramstein, mate? No, definitely not. Are they bigger? No, probably not. Are they? Actually? No, Ramstein. No, uh, no, Ramstein no. have sold out three times over a stadium in Gothenburg that Metallica couldn't sell out once this year. Bloody okay. hell! I'm going to check the Spotify stats just to just to get this as slightly more factual. Okay. Ramstein, eight million six hundred forty-seven thousand four hundred monthly listeners. So that, that is, actually seems quite low. Uh, for that is Ramstein to me, actually. That yeah. does seem quite low. Slipknot, nine million nine hundred ninety-one thousand one hundred fifty-six listeners. Now, what I would say to that is, is that isn't any kind of actual proof of anything really. But people who go and see Ramstein. People go and see Ramstein to see Ramstein. Mm. I think they want to see the yeah. show. I think people actually will listen to. They're more interested in. No, I'm not more. It's hard to say more interested, but I think Slipknot are a band who. It's their albums and their music as opposed to their Spectacle. live show. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think it sounds horrible, but I think that is fair. I, I mean, it does annoy me when I go to Ramstein shows and not everyone is enjoying the music and they're just like, oh, look at the fire. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't know why it's there. You don't know why that pram's on fire, you <laughs> idiot. I mean, Duhast has had 367 million plays on Spotify and duality has had 480 million psychosocials had 408 million before i forget had 354 million so by those metrics i would say slipknot are on our on on record okay yeah fair enough um but anyway yeah look look i think the first half of this is good and i think for a band of their vintage this is kind of all right you know like if, if this is death magnetic or if this is um i don't know fucking brave new world or well brave people like brave yeah. new world don't they but if this is a comparative 
you know or the final yeah. frontier or whatever when you get the final frontier you go is there a couple of songs that they're going to be able to i mean bloody iron maiden go and play the whole thing before <laughs> don't play any of their big songs today because they're contrarian assholes at least metallica only put in a couple of songs from death magnetic and i think for me i would take this over definitely over all hope is gone and i think i take it over 0.5 the gray chapter as well because i think adarel and machine for the dead uh, medicine for the dead excuse me are both better than anything on either of those records i guess i just like slipknot doing kind of metal bangers as opposed to experimental bangers then because yeah i think i think this probably would sit yeah. just at the bottom for me just under all hope is gone but who knows i mean okay. maybe i'd also chuck in like you say yen i mean i quite like chapleton rag as well i chuck in yen chapleton rag and i chuck in h377 which gives you one, two, three, four, five, six of 12 songs, I think, are good, which is a proper, you know, you're looking at, a, 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 I guess, a kind of six out of 10-ish mm. record. But the the thing that gets them to six, you know, if they ignore the rest of it and play the stuff that's good from it live, then it's not really a problem, no, is it? I fair enough. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, we'll see We'll see how I feel after I do see this stuff live, because I am going to go and see Slipknot on this tour, obviously. So. Oh, obviously be fucking yeah. they're always great um yeah you know definitely not bottom for me definitely not bottom it's it's not as good as we are not your kind it's it's just not but i think we're not we're not your kind is actually very very good but it's out now the end so far by slipknot so enjoy that let's move on and talk about dog Roll by pixies obviously uh fontaine's dc has an album called dog out so get your own <laughs> names lads although actually to be fair to pixies enough people have ripped them off over yeah. the years that they can have it i suppose can't they so this is the eighth studio album from the alternative rock legends the follow-up to the frankly absolutely excellent beneath the Irie album from 2019 which did a bunch of stuff that i had never heard pixies do before i think it's really cool that they as a band are still making really thoughtful music that they're a band with a hell of a back catalogue uh, I saw them support Pearl Jam in the summer mm. at Hyde Park and they only did one song that was kind of post-Reformation. So you, it makes you go like, well, I sort of think you know what your audience think and you sort of know where your bread is buttered. But I think more people should listen to the new Pixie stuff because I think it's really good. And I think particularly Beneath Irie was an excellent record. It was an excellent record that feels like something very, very different from what Pixie had done before, this kind of gothic, melodramatic uh noir record it was really really good so i was very excited about this record but before i get into it sam i don't think you and i have ever spoken about pixies before ever do you like the pixies i like the pixies so i can only claim oh. to have heard um do little surfer rosa and bossa nova and probably between the three albums i've maybe listened to them collectively six times so i i'm definitely not an expert i like the pixies i've never really dove in on them um but on the strength of this, maybe I should reconsider my position. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah, mm. you absolutely should. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, right? Beneath Irie, as I just mentioned, was a really, really different record for this band. As soon as this comes in, to me, it sounds like Pixies. There's such a recognisable tone mm. on No Matter Day, the opening song. And even though Kim Dill, who is a massive part of the legacy of the pixies who's now been replaced by chaz chaz lepantin paz lechantin <laughs> more like um i have to say that where beneath the ivory sounded something a bit different and a bit spookier from the band this really is classic pixies mm. and i'm okay with that as long as they can still do it and this first song they can joe santiago's guitar sounds twangly 
Um, David Lovering still has a really odd way that he rhythmically puts his drum parts together. Paz has that sort of low lumbering dinosaur-esque bass that Kim Dill used to have. And Frank Black sounds great. He knows his way around a melody and they just sound like classic alternative pop rock bangers that this band have been making since their inception. And I was like, cool, this sounds like the Pixies. It's good. I really like the opening track as well. I think it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, well, when it start, started, certainly it was it was basically what I was expecting with with my limited knowledge of Pixies back catalogue. Um, yeah, so it was cool, kind of lumbering, slightly jagged. You know, it's got that bratty, punky energy that I think um, that I've always associated with the Pixies, basically entirely. Obviously, I've not listened to any of the post Reformation stuff by this, so maybe I'm missing a significant part of their career that might influence this album as well. But I thought that was cool, and I did think, hmm. Is it going to be like this for the entire album? And then about two minutes in, you get this weird kind of about turn where it goes into the surfer rock thing that they are also well known for doing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's great. I think the kind of juxtaposition of the noisier territory and the slightly calmer, easier going stuff, I think it works, works really well. I was really taken with that first track. And um, I thought Vault of Heaven was a good follow up. It's a bit more road weary. It's a sort of acoustic lament of misadventures and stuff. A bit more mm-hmm. spaghetti western. Um, it's got the kind of crackety Jones uh, thing that they've done before. I mean, again, you know, taking a song from their classic era, but it's th- but they, you know, again, to me, I was just like, oh, it's it's Pixies, Pixies yeah, doing yeah. this, yeah, and yeah. yeah, you know, I love the start of Dregs of Wine where Frank talks about the merits of the original and Van Halen version of you really, you, you really got me. That's mm-hmm. really funny. Again, that is a song that sounds like Pixies. Haunted House sounds a bit like Caribou. Sounds like Pixies. This is not a problem. This is not a problem because Pixies sound like pixies they sound great i love get simulated i think that's maybe my favorite song on the record which is this sort of slow hand blues thing with this weird synth bit going alongside it really really good frank black just effortlessly able to write melodies Mm. throughout the record you know the lord's come back today has just such a brilliant melody to it um (sighs) this sounds like pixies it really does. Yeah. I mean, even as a layman to Pixies, it's like, well, this is a Pixies album. This is kind of broadly what I expected to get. But I do think there is a consistent level of quality to it. And I think, as you say, you know, Frank Black, he can write really good hooks and, and he can deliver them for the most part really, really well. I mean, for me, The Lord Has Come Back Today would be a bit of a low point where it's the first point on the album where I think it feels quite earnestly like they're trying to write, a, I don't know, quite delicate song i suppose kind of thematically or, or even lyrically mm. i think the rest of it the bits that i really gravitate towards so i would say get simulated and thunder and lightning i think is actually really good um because they do have that punk energy and they've got that brattiness that that i think is introduced on no matter day let alone the 30 odd years of pixie's career but yeah it's got that kind of snot no snarling i mean particularly on no matter day when he's talking about don't piss in the fountain like it's just it just feel it feels naughty, doesn't it? It feels like he's having a bit of a joke. <laughs> like he just feels like a oh, you a are naughty. Oh, Frank, what are you like? Um, <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah. Like, I, I think that, look, there's some really cool stuff on here. Um, there's a moon on. Sounds like Neil Young, but with a Pixies chorus. I really like that. It's the second shortest song on the album, so it kind of gets in and gets out. Yeah. The title track is really good. I think you get mm. Frank Black getting right down there, and it's got this kind of jaunty thing. Gives you a massive Joey Santiago solo lovely dual vocal harmony i mean i don't have loads and loads and loads to say about this record but i will say this right 
the thing that made Beneath the Irie great was that it didn't sound like the Pixies. Right, okay. The thing that makes Dogrel sound good is that it does sound like the Pixies. Yeah. Now, which one of those things do you need more in your life? Pixies doing something that really stretches them or a not quite as good version of Doolittle, but that is still good. Now, personally, for me, I'd rather have the former. That doesn't negate that this is a band who just make great music, that are very, very aware of the type of music they make and what their sonic palette is. And they're able to recreate that in the form of very good songs over and over and over and over again. Mm. This is a good record. If Beneath the Irie hadn't have come out and I'd got this, I'd have gone, wow, what a good Pixies record. Um, I'm not going to say it's slightly tainted because I think that last record was so good and so different because I don't think it really matters because I think there are songs on here that were they to chuck into their live set, you know, the title track, There's a Moon on Haunted House gets simulated. I'd like to hear any of them if I went to go and see Pixies. But, I'm not going to play them over Surfer Rosa. No. Obviously, that bar is insanely high. But I might play beneath some of the stuff of Beneath the Irie over Surfer Rosa because it's just completely different. Fair. I mean, I suppose in some ways it's quite good that we sort of do this back-to-back with Slipknot because I think the weight of expectation definitely affects the reception of this album that I think the two parties here have had. Um, I had no expectation, and so I really quite like it. don't think it's amazing because I have heard Doolittle, but... I think this I think this is good and I can see how someone would be disappointed that they've kind of retreated back to safe territory after what you're saying about the previous record. Yeah, I think disappointed maybe feels a little bit harsh mm. to say disappointed. I just think that like yeah, it's a good Pixies album. It's a good Pixies, you know, Head Carrier is a good Pixies album. Indie Cindy is a good collection of modern Pixies songs. You know, there's a couple of things on like the title track and Blue-eyed Hex. Blue-eyed Hex is fucking awesome. Mm. Like and that's a that couldn't be more of a pixie song it's a little bit disappointing we don't get any of the acerbic frank black screen at all on this record i miss that there is one bit there is one bit on there's a moon on where oh, yeah. his screams come on just for the guitar solo and it was like oh i would like a bit more of that but that, mm. that is yeah, a, it's a shame that. it's a, a half a second moment on a what 40 odd minute album it's like eh. yeah. yeah yeah but you know look it's good it is good but it's not no, this is never going to be anyone's favorite Pixies album, right? No, no. I mean, if if you, from what I can tell, if you like Pixies, you'll be happy with this. But yeah, you're not going to be reaching for this over anything, potentially any of the others. I don't think. No, no, no. So there you go. Dog Rule by Pixies is out today. If you're listening to the podcast the day that it comes out, it comes out the same day. Let's move on to the new album from Suede. Auto Fiction, the ninth studio album from the Godfathers of Britpop. I've put that in inverted commas because. This sort of are. It's basically the follow-up to 2018's Blue Hour, which I haven't heard. In fact, I haven't heard a Suede album since they reformed. So the last Suede album that I heard would have been Head Music in 2002. 20 years ago. Bloody hell. Good 20 times. years. What did you make of Head Music? Because I'm going to confess right at the top. I mean, if you don't think I know much about Pixies, I know bugger all about Suede. I don't remember Head Music, really. I don't really remember. I mean, look, let me... get. Yeah, I, I, you confess that. That's a good confession to make. Someone asked me a while ago if we'd ever considered doing a classic album on um, on any Suede records, Dog, Dogman Star, uh, maybe the debut, which I don't know. I mean, I'm a bit of a casual Suede fan, to be fair. Mm. I love the singles. I think the second half of their debut album 
is amazing is maybe the most interesting best stuff they've ever done i think that is absolutely wicked the singles from that 90s period are brilliant um especially the coming up era i mean that was when i really started paying more attention to suede you know giving it like film star propping up the bars it looks so easy it's brett anderson i, I, I can tell it's a good impression i know it's quite a good impression oh, yeah, it's quite a good one <laughs> yeah which i do accidentally yeah. so whatever um if you're looking for a suede tribute act then well i'd probably have to lose a few pounds uh to, to do brett anderson because he is a slinky slim effect kind of man and i've got no hair and you know tattoos and uh, big shoulders oh wow so it wouldn't <laughs> that's that career <laughs> down the pan killed straight away of course, when all that was happening, there they come, the beautiful ones, all that. That was 1996. And when Suede were coming through, they did feel, like I say, a bit of fet, a bit camp, a bit feminine for a 16-year-old boy like me, pumped full of testosterone, listening to Sepultura and Metallica and Fear Factory. And Britpop, when I liked it, was either really laddie like Oasis or proper arch-like pulp. Mm. And Suede, as a result, fell through the cracks something for, somewhat for me and they headline Reading when i went in 1997 i went to watch sick of it all i'm that guy that's that's what good happened lad. but on reflection suede are actually a very very good band after releasing three post-reformation albums which i hadn't heard i did sort of think to myself well we've had this before with like interpol sam and i spoke about interpol split up reformed re- comeback album and then doing that album slightly again. W- and again so i didn't really expect very much for this they had been saying that this is their punk album mm. and i have to say they have shut me right up because i think this is very good this record this is very very good uh i can i completely agree yes yes i i do yeah. agree. i think it um starts absolutely comes roaring out of the traps i mean she still leads me on you know i mean it does sound kind of very late 80s 90s it sounds like what i imagine suede would sound like and as you say it's quite kind of lithe and you can tell just from hearing brett anderson's voice that he's not going to be a big burly bloke you can tell that he's quite suave and quite slight of frame and stuff like that and and actually i mean there's the the things that i really noticed listening to this album and clearly i need to go and listen to more suede to really make my mind up on this but Brett Anderson's radiant and elegant performance, which is quite powerful at times. I don't think it's brilliant all the way through, but on the first three, four tracks especially, I think he's a fucking powerhouse. And it made me think, I know that I like Trains really like this band because Compromat, the vocal performance on Compromat is Brett Anderson, which mm. is a massive, yeah, very, very massive compliment from me. Massive. Although Brett Bre- Anderson sounds quite different on this record to how the brands and i remember from the 90s to be fair uh, okay. like if you go back and listen to the kind of animal night trader and all that that i'm gonna have to stop doing brands and really <laughs> maybe been off. but anyway um yeah i think i mean you're right to mention the first four songs i think all four are awesome particularly particularly the opening track she still yeah. leads me on which i think is as urgent and gorgeous as everything they've ever done and the glam that suede used to lean on has been replaced with like you say something kind of chromatic 80s um chiming thing and i love it and thematically um i was listening to it yesterday so i went for a walk yesterday when i was listening to this record and i thought oh this is a great this is great this song and i found myself like 
tearing up listening to She Still Leads mm. Me On. And I was like, why? Why am I getting really emotional just listening to this song? And I looked into it and it's about, I don't know if you know what that I song's do, about, yeah. Sam, but basically, yeah, it's about Brett Anderson's mum who died when he was nine. And he was so sort of stricken by grief that he didn't attend her funeral. And years later, as a 50-year-old something, 50-something-year-old man, he's looking back at that and he's written this sort of song about the effect that his mother's passing and the grief and moving on with his life has um, has had on him. And as someone who can very, very, very much relate to that feeling, um, I I love this song. Like I absolutely love this song. It's one of my favourite songs of the year. I think it's m- almost become my favourite suede song after like two three weeks of listening to it i think it's absolutely magnificent and i am aware that this is something that is maybe because it's supremely personal to me why i feel like that but you know my mum died in 2019 and hearing a song like this people can say to you like oh it's really it's okay that you still feel upset Mm -hmm. and you still feel a bit lost and that you still have these quite often overpowering feelings of grief and they probably won't go away and that's all right people can say that to you and you just go okay thanks but when you hear it in a song and like i say i didn't know what the song was about but i just i think brett anderson conveyed all of that so beautifully and so brilliantly and i think what upset me and what made me feel quite emotional about this song is that i totally related to it after only sort of three years, whereas Brett Anderson has had 40 years mm. of it. And this song basically says, it's okay that you will never get over this. It's actually okay that you will never, ever feel better about that. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to be able to articulate in a song. And the fact that the song itself is is so great, like I say, so mm. urgent, so euphoric and so defiant and so uplifting um, and so poignant is like really really great like it's a really really brilliant song i mean i have to say there's nothing else on this record there are lots of things that i like a lot on this record there's nothing else that i can guarantee i will listen to 20 years down the line but i can guarantee you i will be listening to this song 20 years from now it is it is a stunning song i think it's such an absolutely beautiful sentiment and you know hearing you talk about it um you know, I can't imagine how much it will mean to people who are who have been in a similar position in terms of losing what well, a parent, which is not something I've had the um, the misfortune of coming across yet. I have lost, you know, family members, and so I do I do get a bit of that, um, you know, kind of close connection to it. And the idea of you know, I'm not a religious person, not a spiritual person, but the idea that someone that you really cared about and who really cared about you is watching over you to put that in a kind of propulsive indie pop song, I think it's a masterstroke of hiding that beautiful sentiment and that just gorgeous emotion and as i say i mean on this song in particular brett anson he's radiant as a performer and i think even if you're not listening to the lyrics as you say you know you weren't sure what this song was about but you can feel it like he really gets Mm. across what he wants you to think and what he wants you to feel when you're listening to it and yeah i think as a result yeah the rest of the album does pale in comparison a little bit i mean i think i think personality disorder 15 again the only way uh i can love you are really really good songs after that it does yeah. drop off a bit of a cliff for me but it definitely starts 
starts at you know kind of a, i mean i'd say a nine i'm guessing you'd say a definite 10 i'd say starts at a definite nine 10. and then it drops down to a kind of seven and then after that it's kind of hitting a six for the rest of the record for me I really okay no because I, I don't quite feel that I mean I think it starts with an absolute 10 out of 10 world-class all-time great song I think personality disorder 15 again the only way I can love you all of them are great mm. I mean you know there's riffs on it there's the the um the the glammy sort of Bowie-esque riffing that Suede used to do back in the day but then there's also this kind of Joy Division style thing that they've brought into I mean who knows how long it's been there because I haven't heard any of their music for for 20 years but that is very definitely there i think drive myself home is excellent i think drive myself home is it's just brett and a piano and i think that is brilliant as well shadow self really has that joy division thing i think it's really really good as well Shadow self would be my other highlight apart from those opening four actually yeah yeah um i think always the quiet ones is massive it's great as well i like i like black ice um i i think yeah i i think this this the 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 spectrum of quality for me it goes from a ten to a six, mm. but I think it stays between seven and at least seven and eight throughout. I think there's a few times where it tips up to a. I mean, it starts on a ten and it never goes back to a ten, no. but it dip and it occasionally will dip down to a seven. I don't ever think it gets down. I, I like this. It's forty five minutes long. There's nothing on here that I don't think is good. Nothing that I don't think is at least good. Um, and a lot of it I think is great. I mean, again, you know, you've got, She Still Leads Me On is amazing. Personality Disorder is great. 15 Again is great. The Only Way I Can Love You is great. That Boy on the Stage is is all right, I think is fine. Drive Myself Home, I think is great. Black Ice and Shadow Self and It's Always the Quiet Ones, I think are all brilliant as well. Like I'd say, you know, that's six of nine tracks already that I've gone like, they're great. Mm. And there's only really two that I'm not that fussed at. What What Am I Without You, I think is is good as well. Turn Your Brain Off and Yell is a, is a bit of a like low, a low, it's a low point on an album full of highs, I think, or, or mostly with plenty of highs on it to end the record on. This is a definite eight out of 10 record for me. A definite comfortable eight out of 10 record. Okay, I mean, I, I'd put seven on it uh, or put, put a seven on it i'd give it a seven um purely because i don't if you like it then you should have put a seven on it <laughs> you've got me there sorry you've bloody done me in there with sorry, your beyonce sorry, impression sorry. maybe you could be a beyonce impersonator instead of brett anderson i don't think it was quite as good i mean that didn't really sound like beyonce did it that was just a man going <laughs> if you like it then you should have put a seven on it on, on reflection you're absolutely right <laughs> Um, thank you no thank you simon Cowell. <laughs> it's a no from me uh no i i would give the seven seven just because i don't feel that the the quieter songs i think they are i think they're well you know well composed and well written i don't think brett anderson quite on this album and maybe he's done it historically but on this album i don't think he quite has the i don't know the, the right level of pathos to really pull it off for my ears i don't think he's bad at it i just think his voice there's a kind of there's a histrionic to his voice that doesn't quite fit in some of the more tender moments, but I still think this is a good album. I mean, to be honest, I well, I certainly prefer it to the Slipknot album. I'd say for me, this is on a par with the Pixies album in terms of quality, personally. I think it's better than the Pixies album. Okay. Yeah, personally. Fair enough, fair enough. You should listen to Dogman Star coming up as well i think if you have any I, I would you know i would imagine most people will be listening going well they're the best ones 
aren't they? So and Suede as well, and a lot of bits. So first three albums, I really like coming up. I know it's sort of considered their 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 pop sort of hit factory breakthrough record, and it's a bit maybe a bit like you know a bit of a sort of um, easy one to pick. You know, like a kind of mm. like a, a more sort of basic one to pick. But I think it's very good, actually. Um, but this is really good, yeah. I mean, it's made me go, oh, maybe I should go back and listen to some of their newer stuff. But, you know, I'd never been massive on Suede. Never been absolutely yeah, right. massive on Suede. Although, like I say, I do think, you know, some of the debut album, Dogman Star, is, is good. Coming Up is great. And I think they always release good singles. But So I was, you know, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed this. I enjoyed it a lot. Really did. I'll go and check out the classic stuff then. Yeah. Because I, I like this as well. Mm. Maybe you could get uh the best of suede <laughs> i'd have to say yes you'd have to say the best of suede tough one anyway <laughs> um let's move on that's auto fiction by suede now okay i'm sorry that we've taken so well we're only on episode two so we couldn't have done it before <laughs> oh. uh orville peck bronco this has been out a while this has been out since april and i've been getting getting trolled you've made my life hell you people who won't shut up about awful peck you've made my life a living hell you haven't you've just been saying to me Stephen hill you will probably like bronco by awful peck people have been telling me to check it out and i was like do you know what let's do it let's just chuck it in there it is the second album from the south african country musician who is based in canada the follow-up to his debut album show pony from 2020 now sam the other mm. day i went to see baz lerman's biopic of elvis presley elvis and i also saw a documentary the other day on bbc4 about roy orbison which is very good and it made me go damn roy orbison was wicked and i had a little like binge through some roy orbison stuff like this is really good and here we have only a week later some kind of exact melding of those two things i think i don't think you're wrong certainly the Baz Luhrmann version of Elvis, certainly, because this is a, a strikingly bombastic and yet simultaneously quite kind of pared back and, and true sort of country pop album, isn't it? It's a country pop album, mm. but it's not anything like any sort of country pop album that I am have really feel like I've listened to before. Instrumentally, I, I completely agree. Uh, I've never heard an album that kind of would sit in this you know, in this kind of part of the vinyl shelf in HMV, for example, that sounds like this. But, I mean, I mean, we can't get past those. For when this album starts and Orville's voice comes in, I mean, that's Elvis. That is Elvis. That's Elvis. You can hear, you can hear his curled lip as he's mm-hmm. kind of crooning out those tracks. Like, it's Elvis. Um, and actually, to be honest, it took me a couple of songs to really get past that. It took me till out of time before I was like, Okay, I've got over the initial shock and kind of like, what are you doing, you mad get? You sound exactly like Elvis. <laughs> before before I started to appreciate how much I actually really, really like this album. Although, funnily enough, Out of Time is the one where there is a lyric saying, headed for the back, I meet a girl who's trying to shoot the breeze. She tells me she don't like Elvis. I say I want a little less conversation, please. Yeah. yeah that was that was the moment where I was like, you know exactly what you're doing. And I really like you, Orville Pack, and I'm going to sit through this slightly too long album because it's such a joy to be in your company you seem like such a bloody good bloke and just so joyous and it's so self-assured without ever being arrogant i i love this i think this is great yeah he manages to meld kind of outlaw country 
rock and roll, rockabilly, mm. Vegas, modern pop, and emo, and just make it sound like a cowboy. Do you know what I mean? I like it. Yeah. I, I can't quite put my finger on exactly where all those other elements come from. I mean, just to sort of rattle through it, Detona Sand, the first song, is the sort of country outlaw thing. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is yeah. cool in a kind of like, you know, um, Johnny Cash sort of way. Curse of the Black and Eye and Out of Time, bit more slinky and reflective. Really, really love both of those songs. Mm-hmm. There are a few songs in here that I think are just, that are passable as opposed to amazing. But when this is amazing, f- fucking hell, it's amazing. Like, Come On Baby Cry is ridiculous. Mm. It's so ridiculous. This is the best Ronette song by a South African man in a cowboy <laughs> hat and a mask that you will hear in 2022. That wall of sound, that Phil Spector sound. Sorry, I know you don't want me to be nice about Phil Spector, but he invented it. And that is the sonic template of the thing that he's doing here. It is outrageously great. It is an outrageous love letter back to the classic era of kind of heartbreaking love songs. And Mm. it it makes my heart a flutter everywhere. Kalahari Down, which is a sort of Bambara post-punk or wicked game by Chris Isaac, but with the dirtier country vibes mixed with Rufus Wainwright and then the bit at the end where it's just his voice in the harmonica, absolutely, unbelievably brilliant. The title track sounds like Lookers by the Menzingers turned into a <laughs> Happy Days theme tune. Yeah. With this hip-shaking, lip-curled beautifulness. Let Me Drown sounds like Won't Back Down by Tom Fetty. By Tom Petty. Tom Fetty. Tom Petty. But with loads of strings and, you know, as if you were doing that with a full orchestra to some sort of Vegas residency. Any turns to one of the best old school country rock and roll bangers you will ever hear. I mean, again, when this is good, this record, it's unbelievably good. Mm. I mean, let me drown for me. Um by this point, you know, because there are a lot of highs, but I think there was a little kind of, I don't know, trample up the days, blush, hexy mountains. I was beginning to think yeah. maybe maybe the album should be winding up by now. And then you get to Let Me Drown, and it's like, actually, you know what? All that enormous bombast. It is so overblown and so ridiculous, but Orville Peck absolutely carries it, and he makes you fucking believe it. And, yeah, I think Vegas Residency, I mean, I'd say West End musical as well, you know, kind of saloon door swinging open at the end you know where the hero comes back it's just it is wonderful and i always think all i can say at the end with um bria salmina as a really uh, he brings in this kind of well accompanying vocal for the big finale it's always beautiful and it's johnny cash and june carter isn't it it's that kind of outlaw duet and i think it's beautiful i think all i can say would have benefited from the album being shorter because by that point i'm a little just a little bit tired because as as nice as it is to be in um, Orville Peck's company, it it's a bit tiresome because he is so infectiously joyous all the way through. It's like, oh, calm down, mate. Just do a sad one for a moment, please, because I need time to recover. Um, although I do think if I was going to distill this down to a lyric that I absolutely love from this album, on Lafayette, he says, I recall somebody saying there ain't no cowboys left. They ain't met me. It's like, oh, yes, mate. <laughs> yes, Orville. Yeah, for 15 songs... Uh, over 53 minutes and 40 seconds it is 
That's not that's not too long a record. I mean, bloody hell, we we sat through an hour and six minutes of the Who a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah, ago, that Sam. Is fair. That is fair. And that felt like a long time, right? Now, I, so I wouldn't say is it offensively too long. No, yeah. I don't think it's ridiculously too long. But fifteen songs could have been twelve. I think. Yes. Yes. And um, I think it would have benefited for like yeah, you mentioned a few like blush that. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, but yeah, again, when this is good, this is absolutely ridiculously good. Ridiculously good. I mean, I, I'm not massive into sort of country music or outlaw country or and certainly not into country pop at all. But do you know Dolly Parton's doing a Christmas carol? In, they're doing in the, in the London Palladium this year. They're doing a Dolly Parton what? Nashville Based Christmas, so they're doing the Christmas Carol, the um, you know, the 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 thing the Muppets do. You remember yeah, the, the, the Muppets, the, Michael, yeah, Michael yeah. Caine. So yeah, so I mean, I don't know if she's going to get the old penguin ice skating competition into <laughs> into Nashville. That is a very very important part of Dickens' original novel. Um, but it's a but I was order. like, what a ridiculous mad thing to do to do like Dolly Parton's Nashville Country Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Like what? And I do think that. The sheer kind of like stirrup wearing, balls out, don't care, I'm a country person of this record, even though he's from South Africa and he lives in Canada. Yeah. I mean, Michael Paulson from uh, from Volbeat, you could learn a few things and how to <laughs> at least yeah, pull yeah. off trying to be like, you know, I was always like, Volbeat, Danish cowboys, nah. But then weirdly, I'm like, a South African man living in Canada, cowboy. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's wicked, this record. I think it's wicked. It is slightly too long. I saw a few people saying album of the year. Not for me. Not album of the year. Not when I consider some of the other things that have come out this year. But, like, am I going to go back to it? 100%. Like, it is a great record and a very, very odd record. And uh, it appears to have been reviewed very, very well as well. It has, yeah. Long listed for the Polaris Music Prize of 2022 as well. Indeed. Which is sort of the um, Canadian equivalent of the Mercury Music Prize, Mm. if you weren't aware of that. But yeah, it's really good. Bronco by Orville Peck. That is out now. Right, let's move on and talk about Northeast Coastal Town by Life. This is the third album from the whole-based indie band, the follow-up to their 2019 album, A Picture of Good Health. So... This year, well, I suppose it was last year, actually, wasn't it? Because it was the week between Christmas and New Year, 2021. I was alone in my house in that week with nothing really to do. Sitting around, eating chocolate, watching telly, not really doing very much, playing on the PlayStation. And I was trying to listen to as many new albums as I could listen to. And I put Six Music on a fair bit as well. Listen to Six Music and the opening song on this album, Friends Without Names, came on. It was Hugh Stevens played it. First time I'd ever heard it. First time I'd ever heard Life. I was, didn't know what it was, but halfway through I was like, what the hell is this? This is amazing. This song is fantastic. And I think that song, the opening song on this record, is one of the best songs of this year. It's really tense, has this really amazing post-punk thing, which I am such a mark for, as some of you will know. If you don't know, I am a mark for that post-punk thing. And it gets a little bit more intense and a little bit angrier. It all feels like it's really tightly wound 
and it is slowly, slowly. So at the start, it's like friends without names, friends, and by the end, it's like friends without names, friends without names. It just gets more and more intense as the song builds to this brilliant conclusion. I love it. That slow release of dynamics in music is really cool to me, and I thought that that song was amazing. I've been listening to that song all year, so I was super excited to cover this town uh this um album northeast coastal town i was really really looking forward to it and so i was a bit weirded out when the second song big moon lake came in and it was just a sort of fast garage rock song with mm. the singer who's i'm assuming is the same dude started putting on an american accent it's weird isn't it for an album called northeast coastal town all about kind of the the trials and tribulations of being from and living in and absorbing the culture of Hull. it is weird that he's doing that kind of Americanized characterization, which comes up a couple more times on the album, I noticed. I think I think it shows up a little bit again yeah. in Almost Home. And to be honest, that was the point. So I agree. I think Friends Without Names, I think it's very good. I don't like it as much as you. Um, and actually, when you were describing kind of the things you love about it, have you ever listened to the band Nod? Um, G-N-O-D. I'm aware of the them yes i am yeah okay i have a, i don't know if i can i don't know what i can't recall any of their music but i know the name yeah okay i would say go and listen to i think it was their album last year le more du Sainte. uh that is basically an album full of friends without names but i think it does the kind of dynamic build and interplay a little better so i like friends without names but it felt a bit like a kind of lesser version of something i'm already quite into and familiar with and admittedly they're a band who operate more in a kind of sludgy territory rather than post-punk but um it, it sets up the album in a way that it never really quite follows back up to. I mean, I think I'll go into my, my highlights um, first. Uh, well, my other, to be honest, my other two highlights um, are the other sides of what I feel life can do. I think Duck Egg Blue is a song that I really, yeah, really, really like. Um, it's the gentle approach. And I think it has a similar kind of build and grandeur and gravitas to it, but done in a much more paired back and restrained way. I think that's really cool. And I think the backing vocals that are slowly introduced, kind of layered up as it goes, bring a real emotional verb and kind of grandiosity to the proceedings. It's great. And then on the other side, the drug, I think the shortest song on the album and the lead single, great. Slinky, kind of gloriously dark indie post-punk. I mean, what's not to like about that? The rest of it... Oh. The, the the fairly weedy chorus Ooh. would be what my answer to that would be to be honest do you yeah. not like the chorus I, I quite like it I, I don't think that is a very good hook to be honest oh, it's not okay. a good enough hook for me I think that song is a, uh, a tapped into a few things that, that made me go this is a somewhat of a disappointment with my introduction being Friends Without Names because mm. I thought the drug actually and quite a lot of the things on here uh, they don't really have the hook the necessary um songwriting now to 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 grab me to be honest okay okay i mean i would agree with that as a, a broad stroke but actually with the drug that was a song i really liked and maybe it's because it was a short one i didn't really kind of feel too wound up about it because there was a lot of it that i did feel quite wound up by like poison i mean do you like gang of four and do you like peter hook's bass tone and unknown pleasures well poison wants to be those things and it doesn't quite hit that high and to be fair that's an unbelievably high bar but you know if you're, if you're mm. aiming for that so nakedly you better not miss um lyrically i find the album a little bit there are points on it where i'm like are you actually kind of sneering at the listener which is going to come up on another album review in a much more vociferous way but i do think uh, is all this 
I don't know. It's all a bit meandering and it feels a little bit kind of pompous at times. However, self-portrait, I think, has a great little um, uh, lyrical kind of phrase in its chorus, which is, I wrote an album about my pissing health. My imperfect body houses my imperfect mind. I think that's great. That's a really good sing-alongable line. The rest of this album, I find, passes me by quite a bit. Shipping Forecast is basically just kind of standard post-punk revivalist fare. They've distorted the vocals in the verse. That's about the only thing I can say that's kind of different from something like Incomplete. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a long album, but there's not really loads that I found to grab onto myself. Yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed by this. I'm not going to lie. I think you're right. Friends Without Names is brilliant. I think Duck Egg Blue is really good. You mentioned self-portrait. I mean, lyrics might be good, but that is like a proper baby idols, isn't it? Yeah. That is like a, a desperate attempt to sound like idols. I didn't mind Shipping Forecast, even though, yeah, it is a version of a thing that already exists, not done as well. Um, Our Love is Growing is the other song that I thought was quite good. It's only three minutes long and it it at least is something different because this is two, seems to be two types of things. Like Incomplete comes sort of as, as the third song and I was like, okay, so are we in sort of, so you just make one song and then you went for sort of solo Graham Coxon, upbeat Brit poppy stuff, still doing the US accent. And I was like, mate, where's that band that I like gone? Mm. You know, the, this, this this isn't bad. This radio, uh, this this uh, album particularly, but it, considering I was so excited by what I heard on the radio and that single, it really doesn't live up to it. It was, it's a bit like, and you won't like this at all, but. Well, I know you don't like this band at all, but it reminded me a bit of the Yard Act album. It definitely reminded in... me of the Yard Act album, and that was something that I took against because that characterization really winds me up and it feels very, very patronising. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the opening song on the Yard Act album is great. Mm. I think it's really, really good. I know you don't like it at all, but I do like their, that one song on the Yard Act album. And I think there are occasional glimpses on that Yard Act album of something good. But not enough. And annoyingly, this is the first track on this is much better than anything on the, the Yard Act album. I, was, I think Friends Without Names is better than anything on the Yard Act album. And I think it at least has a couple of other songs that I think are good. But this is the third album, you know? When I was thinking, oh, you know, it's their debut. And I was like, oh, actually, it's their, their third record. And I was like, oh, well, three albums in, I think you should probably have a little bit more of a clear idea as to what and who you are and it just feels like a bit of a hodgepodge mm. it doesn't really feel like you know again like you say it's about a northeastern coastal town and you're singing in an american accent doing this kind of hives sort of garage rock in an american accent and i was like well that doesn't feel like it is thematically tied to what you're trying to make this record about it's a shame because i was really looking forward to hearing this record because i do think the single is so strong and i do think you know again i would say duck egg blue is pretty damn close to to that as mm. well and i do think that you know our love is growing is a pretty enjoyable shoegazy cure worship type thing which is at least slightly different from everything else going on in the record but I'm not mad keen on anything else, to be honest. I'm not mad keen on anything else. It's a bit of a shame. So I don't really have anything else to say about it, to be honest. That is End. No, it isn't. 
it's called Life End. I was thinking of the. No, this isn't ended. Cult they are, they are yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, North East Coast of the Town by Life is out now, as is Null by Ken Mode, the eighth studio album from the Winnipeg, Canada based noise rock band, the follow up to their 2018 album Loved. The band's first album with Catherine Kerr added as a full time member of the band on piano, percussion, sax. Sax? I sound like Daffy Duck then. <laughs> Saxophone and synth. Now, I really properly first listened to Ken Mode a few years ago when they were on a tribute album to Helmet about five years ago. They covered In the Meantime. Ooh. That's a bloody good song in the meantime. And that is a seriously good cover that Ken Mode did of that. So heavy. But I'd never really heard them that much before that, even though I was aware of the name. And I have only since checked out Success from 2015, which I liked a lot. But, you know, pressures of life and stuff. I haven't really got round to doing much more than that. So I wasn't entirely sure if this was a massive reinvention from Ken Mode or a slow uh, evolution into what they're doing now because it feels like this is quite different from what I heard previously. So, uh, sorry, you're saying you haven't heard Loved. Success was the last one you heard in full. Did yeah. You say? Okay. Um, well, to answer your question, I'd say this is not a seismic reinvention, but I think this is kind of exploring further what they were doing on the previous album. So, for context, I discovered Ken Mode through uh, a Metal Hammer article that Luke Morton had written and to be honest, I didn't even need to look at the title or anything like that because I saw the artwork for Loved, the Randy Ortiz piece. And I just thought, fuck me, I need to go and listen to that. So I then obviously read the article, saw when it was coming out. I was like, right, pre-order that on Bandcamp. Loved is one of my favourite albums of the last decade, of the 2010s. Is it? I think Loved is a fucking worldie. It's an absolute masterclass in noisy, blackened hardcore, all the horrible, filthy things I love. Um, and more than that i think loved and this album in particular i think they've really leaned into it for these two records i think jesse matthewson's performance really encapsulates what it's like to be in the throes of kind of serious depressive episodes i think you get so much kind of fear and anguish and heartbreak and anger all the way through this album from him i mean just from the start of a love letter you know it's just the nasty noisiest shit that you've heard and his vocals are blood-curdling and spine-breakingly horrible he's just apoplectic but then also begging for help help at points throughout the album i think it's brilliant but yes i would say this album the inclusion of Catherine kerr as a full-time member has come from the experimentation they were beginning on loved with the kind of um jagged detuned saxophone stuff although the synthesized um elements that you get on something like the tie um on this on this album I think those are new. I've not really heard them in Ken Mode's back catalogue to this point. Um, the tie in particular, for the record, I think sounds like early swans. It's and and I understood it's under Neubarten as well. It's just horrible kind of electronic throb, and it feels like the band. If they were to play that live, they would also lock the doors and bolt all the fire exits, and you wouldn't be allowed to get out like an early swans gig. So that's apt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is a real ear piercing, screaming blunt force nightmarish album for a yeah. lot of it but it's also like, like looking at someone crying in the corner as well mm. at some points as well this is you know when you mentioned swans i think that's a very very apt comparison unsane yeah nick nick cave um mm. all of those things sort of swept up into this maelstrom of raging untamed anguish it's hard this album in every sense it's hard to listen to it's hard and 
it is <laughs> insanely heavy. The first song is so heavy. Mm. When that discordant sax comes in, it changes the parameters of what I thought chem mode were completely. Yeah. And what I think is brilliant about this is that, yeah, I mean, that's why I asked about the evolution because throw your phone in the river has this unbelievably brilliantly technical riff that drives everything along proper, like Colesque, uh, convergy style, early noughties metalcore. Great song. Like it's a sort of thing that I have heard people do before many, many times over the years. But I think, then you mentioned the tie, this an industrial, ambient, nightmarish, horrible thing, mm. which just feels like, it kind of makes you feel a bit nauseous listening to it. It is gruesome, and, isn't it? Yeah, and jumping between those two things, because you get to like, but they respect my tactics straight after it, which again, just pummels you. And they seem to flip-flop and balance a seesaw of absolute destruction and devastation and something just much more unsettling mm. and I, I think it's really cool the main song here for me clearly yeah. is lost grip yes yes um like, yeah. it, it's the epic it's the 10 minute one uh i think on paper when you hear a noise rock band who are doing all the things that we are saying they're doing writing a 10 minute track you might be a bit like oh do you really need that mm, not sure <laughs> But the band's use of dynamics on this song, the way it builds, and I think um, adding Catherine Kerr to this band has been an absolute masterstroke because I think this might be my favourite Ken Mode song to date. And given how much I loved, loved, absolutely, I think that's high praise indeed coming from me. Um, the dynamic build on this song to that heartbreaking piano conclusion of just um, Matthewson sort of saying, I don't believe that you mean well at the end. It's... It's horrible, isn't it? Like, it really just creeps down your spine. Um, I think if there was one criticism of this album, I think it should have ended with that because I do think yeah. Desperate Search for an Enemy and Unresponsive fall a bit flat after the wonder of Lost Grip. Yeah, they just kind of batter you again, those last two songs. It's I think Lost Fair. Yeah. Mm, I think Lost Grip is unbelievable. Like, it's mm. really hard. I mean, you best be in the right mood for it. Weird ambient noise. And like you say, that I don't believe that you mean well refrained basically goes on throughout the entire 10 minutes of the song mm. and it becomes incredibly exhausting and just mentally challenging for you to to hear that kind of pound in the back of your skull over and over again and it builds and adds and puts more and more onto the top of it it kind of starts with drums and then you get this just sort of feedback of guitar and the vocals and then those piano keys come in and then it adds those whispered backing vocals and it just adds to the sort of overall paranoia and sort of ill ease of feeling that that they create throughout all of it and then when it starts to chug it gets because you've waited so long i mean you get like halfway through and it, mm. you get this proper metal chug and you've waited so long for it that it sounds just uh, incredibly heavy and then it fizzles back out just the sort of piano keys mm. so they build it and then they destroy it right in front of you this is really great this record i mean i say like for me lost grip is the difference between this being um actually no i think even without it i would be like god this is good it's an eight maybe a, this is a different i think lost grip is a difference between it being a high seven and a high eight mm. i think that's fair i think a high eight is a very fair score for this album because as i say mm. i think that those last two tracks do just fall a little flat purely by virtue of sequencing they're not bad songs at all they're brilliant and they what ken mode uh, they're what ken mode do so well 
but they followed Ken Mode doing something absolutely spectacular. Mm, it's very good, this record, though. Mm. Null by Ken Mode. That is out now. Let's move on to something that's a little bit more happy. Sports team. Gulp. Football. Uh, sports. Corner. <laughs> Goal. Etc. Indeed. You want to Pen. Do Penalty. Pen. Yeah, yeah. Penalty. Okay. thought you meant pen. I was like... Well, what, you know, referees have to use a pen when they're booking people. <laughs> I think they use a pencil, actually. Oh, well, that shut me up, hasn't it? Do you know about football? Come on. <laughs> Shouldn't know that referees use pencils. Crikey. Um, anyway. Oh, here she comes. Bonjour. Oh, well, just wandered in, went meow, and then is now just staring at me. What can you possibly want? She wants you to be a sports her? team. Yeah, go on. She's, no, she's not making any noise. Oh, well, Unbelievable. That's the ASMR ruined. Yeah. So Sports Team Gulp, the second album from the Cambridge-based indie band, the follow-up to their 2020 debut album, Deep Down Happy, which I gave a quick listen to back when it came out. And, well, I didn't much care for it, to be honest. They seem like the epitome of that middle-class indie thing that's been popping up everywhere mm. that actually your time with Alan Partridge sort of mocked that uh, whole scene of bands at one point. And I was like, oh, yeah, Sports Team are one of them, really, aren't they? And I kind of expected to like life and not really like this. But actually, I think I prefer this to life as an album. Ooh, I thought Slipknot was going to be our biggest disagreement this week. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is really throwaway, this yeah, record. I agree with that. But but I think they can pen a really good tune. I think they have a, a way with a sort of catchy chorus they got a few cool ideas bit of brass kids choir that doesn't absolutely suck being chucked in there i think the first three songs are all less than three minutes and when they do that stuff they're like a kind of aging 80s new wave punk band they sort of remind me of squeeze a little bit um bit of ween they're sort of silly just a bit juddering like here we are. I don't really feel like this is a particularly serious record. Do you know what I mean? I don't feel like that's a, th th this needs to be sort of considered in the same way as those bands were like, this is a deconstruction of Britain in blah, 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 like this, or this is an important personal thing. I, I don't feel like sports team are trying to do that. And they get a bit more of a pass because they seem to know they're just essentially just a bit of a sort of guitar-y pop band. And I'm all right with that. Fair enough. Um, you hate it, don't you? I you hate, hate I hate this album. This is by far and away the worst thing we're covering this week. I think this is absolute fucking landy infill. Landy? It, landy infill? I'm so, I'm so angry. <laughs> Indie landfill throwback and Alex Rice's voice. And, and, you know, this is purely kind of my the way my ear is chewed. I think his voice is awful. I hate the cadence of his voice. I just find it not even nails down a chalkboard it's like i don't know it's like a chalkboard's been dragged across my face but there's nails in the chalkboard it's awful i hate mm. his voice um unstuck i think is particularly awful because coming off the back of talking about orville peck it's like well you take one person's kind of love and reverence for kind of dance or rock and roll and then you take what sports team are doing and the whole thing just feels very very sneery and i think they just seem like absolute wankers and i'll tell you for why i found <laughs> an interview with Ben Beaumont Thomas in The Guardian from 2019. So Al Greenwood said, uh, oh, Al Greenwood said they're not Lazy Martin Parr-esque in terms of their imagery. And then Nags, their, their, lead vocalist, uh, their lead lyricist, sorry, says, 
he talks about posing in leather jackets with cigarettes in moody landscapes that level of strokiness they're like oh we're poets and we got our lyrics by sitting in a pub and channeling james joyce fair play to ben beaumont thomas who says hang on you're sitting in a pub channeling betjeman he says at least our lyrics were written on a laptop in the studio desperately trying to find a worm that rhymes with rhododendrons fuck off you absolute bellend you think you're not a pretentious pile of shit, you absolute fucking cunt. Oh, I hate this album, Steve. Really, really do. And I just think it's also pathetically nailed together. It's just a couple, It's a few ideas repeated time and time again with Alex Rice trying to do a sort of like funny interpretation of this Nags's lyrics. Oh, like they, they make reference in that article to Fontaine's DC and they're like, um, Nags says like, oh, you know, we all love them. But then Alex Rice goes and says, There'll always be a place for post-punk, but no one's doing anything new in that. Fontaine's played last week, and the average age in the crowd must have been mid-40s. Brilliant, but it's not very punk. It's incredibly wealthy craft ale fans. You go to our front row, and it's kids. We feel more vital and important. Now, I've seen sports team. Last time I was in Rotterdam, a city I used to live in, they were playing at a bar called Rowtown. It's a very nice bar. It does tend to kind of attract these sorts of bands, but I've never found them quite as off-puttingly awful as sports team <laughs> i watched the first three songs of their set this would have been in 20 uh it would have been in 2020 in that kind of brief period where travel was kind of all right i still felt a bit uncomfortable about it but the person i was going with wanted to go fine when i watched sports team and uh yeah walked out after three songs i thought they were the most trite pretentious fucking wanker bullshit ever so tell me why it's good <laughs> Well, I didn't get any of that from it, to be honest, because I suppose I haven't really paid much attention to sports team as human beings. I mean, if they're saying that, then oh, well, that is a bit delusional of them. I mean, you mentioned um, uh, Unstuck, and I was like, this sounds like sort of the school band doing the Libertines, I thought. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I thought it was like like the, the, the year nine covering a Libertine song. It has an annoyingly catchy chorus. I mean, this is what I will say to them. They have, they are capable of penning annoyingly catchy choruses. Something like Kool-Aid reminds me of the automatic or something like that. Something bad from that period. There are points on this record where I'm like, oh, I kind of like this sort of 80s new wave thing of it. If they call themselves punk, like post-punk, they're much more just straight pop. I think if they were to turn around and go, hey, do you know what? We thought we'd write some very, very derivative 80s new wave pop songs if they were the knack and they were going oh we're doing my, we're just trying to do my sharona you'd go right we're well, not as good songwriters really but yeah you know get on top of the pops get a kind of young female fan base of sort of zooey deschanel love it do you know what i mean that, that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. i can see i can see all that um but vital and important? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely, like, ludicrous thing to say. Completely ludicrous. But there are songs in here that I don't mind. I mean, I think, um, you know, the last song, Light Industry, sounded like something like the Flaming Lips might do. You know, I thought it was like going for that type of thing, that sort of fa fl early Flaming Lips, pavement-y sort of thing. Um, and I was like, well, you know, they're all right. Like, some of these songs are quite catchy. I, I, I don't have the visceral reaction against his voice i didn't particularly spend much time listening to his lyrics because from the sort of delivery and from you know what the song seemed to be about it all did seem just a bit throwaway mm. if they're turning around and going we are the voice of the generation we are the future 
that's mad like you're from cambridge and you're do you know what i mean you're yeah i, I mean yeah, i mean i'm sure you, your dad is the ceo of nando's or something do you know what i mean like, i'm sure that's the case and that's a bit of a silly thing to say but if they are if they if that context is important that that will definitely count against them mm. because i thought you know like i don't want I, I you know i wouldn't want abs from five going oh, we're like the, we're the new rolling stones like you'd go, hey, what are you want about, mate? You're just a put together boy band. What are you talking about? If sports team are like, we're just a band who wrote some. We're just trying to write like eighties inspired, super catchy pop songs. I don't think they haven't done that on this record. Is this a great record? Not really. I'm quite surprised at how much I liked it because I did go into mm -hmm. it going, I didn't care much for the last stuff, and I've seen a lot of people are sort of like shaking their fists about them but i wondered if that was some form of snobbery some sort of inverse snobbery that was going on there um because this is quite a throwaway re a record it is throwaway. i think it kind of works as a throwaway guitar pop record and that is as good as it can ever be i think you're absolutely right that that is as good as it can ever be i think the problem for me is that there is just this kind of air in, in the delivery of of the lyrics in particular and you know I'll be honest, I didn't spend loads of time fixating on the lyrics because I just couldn't get past the, the cadence of Alex Rice's voice that I just really took against. But it felt like there was a sneering arrogance to every part of this record. It just felt like it was some people standing around, you know, kind of in their practice space and you've walked in and they go and they kind of look at you. Why are you here? We're much better than you. We're much better than you. And actually, you're too thick to understand our genius. And who knows? Maybe all of those all of those quotes were said in jest. And maybe I've totally missed the point and misread sports team. But they seem like bell ends. Well, I can't argue with that. Um, maybe, you know, I'd have to look into it a little bit more. Uh, I don't hate this record, but I might hate them. Who knows? <laughs> I need to look into it a little bit more. But, you know, yeah. Look, I just thought this is an absolutely perfectly fine indie pop record um, with some stuff which is quite bad mm. on it, some stuff which I quite liked on it. Like I think I, I like Dig, I like Light Industry, um, I hated Unstuck and I hated Kool Aid, so it's a quite a kind of mixed bag for me. I think when this is good, when this is good, it's seven out of ten good. When it's bad, it's three out of ten bad. Mm. You know what I mean? I would say this is consistently a two for me, which is better than the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> so they've got that. Still better than the Devil Wears Prada. So that's good news. Anyway, Gulp by Sports Team. That is out now. Last thing we're going to talk about. Now, Sam, I'm sorry, mate. I fucking didn't actually make a point of being explicit enough. It's funny that this is called Explicit, yeah. the mixtape. But we're going to talk about Wargasm. Sam didn't bother listening. To it. Didn't bother I listening didn't. To it. I, no, no, of, I, I, forgo I forgot <laughs> yeah. that we were meant to be doing it, and I can't say I'm. How could you forget say, Wargasm? Oh, the 1985 Bostonian thrash band, my favourites. I love them. Yes. Yes, uh, that's not who we're no. talking about. We're talking about the debut mixtape from the hotly tipped UK dance rock crossover crew. As you said, not the 1985 Bostonian thrash band before that bloke from Twitter comes <laughs> kicking through my wall, grabbing me around the neck, getting me in a headlock, and having a go at me for not pointing that out. Um, but I did want to cover this and I'll tell you for why because I've had a right go at Wargasm before in the past I saw them at the download pilot mm. and they were really bad well, like really really bad <laughs> like one of the worst things I've seen in a long time worse than Ian right, Brown were... uh, I mean when Ian Brown's got a band his band can play okay. his songs yeah that's a, fair, that's a fair counterpoint I mean they're probably better vocalists than Ian Brown but they, you know, they, 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 they didn't seem to know what they were doing. They've been accused of all kinds of things, industry plants and all that. Mm. Um, they have got to, 
an incredibly high position uh, very, very quickly, very, very quickly. And people do get a little bit suspicious about that. Um, I saw them at download on the main stage this year. And I have to say, to give them their credit, they had hugely improved as a live band. Massively, massively improved as a live band. Have you got any opinion on Wargasm before? Because I feel like everybody has. So you might as well give yours, Sam. Well, given that I didn't listen to the record because I forgot we were going to be doing it. Um, Wargasm, what little bits of their music I've heard I don't absolutely detest. I think it's just quite kind of perfunctory, kind of new metal with electronic bits masquerading as something quite important or kind of significant when it really isn't. Um, I think they themselves seem... They seem very, very touchy about the idea that maybe they've had a helping hand, which fair enough, you know, if I'd have got to their position through whatever means necessary, I'd feel a bit touchy about that, you know, Uh, and maybe they have done it completely on merit because obviously Sam, the vocalist of the band, was formerly in the wonderful Dead, wasn't he? So they've clearly got a good pedigree in their musical history. Yeah, I mean, I compared them to uh, sort of budget D'Antwerp, I think, before, which is not a particularly uh, nice or uh, not even particularly original thing to say. I'm aware that a lot of people have already done that. So I'm not claiming to be some sort of comedy genius. Not for that anyway. The five stars I regularly got for my three Edinburgh shows. That's why I'm a comedy genius. Not because of what I say about Wargasm. Just to be clear. Um, But anyway, look, they are undoubtedly Wargasm, I think, in the nicest possible way. They're a bit silly. Yes. Uh, like accusations of industry planting and all that kind of stuff. Whatever. It's all a bit silly. And that's fine. It's OTT. I've always maintained this, right? If they wrote songs that were good, I don't care who's in the band. I don't care how they got there. I don't care who wrote them. I don't care how they get played live. Whatever. You need to have mm-hmm. good songs. The rest of it, you have good songs and none of that sh- none of that shit matters. It just doesn't matter. I don't care. And the people who do care, I think, are people who are a little bit childish because essentially what they're doing is they're saying, oh, um, you, I'm going to hate on you because I don't like you and here's this reason why you can never, ever, 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 ever be considered a good artist mm. ever because you've come from this background taylor swift was you know her, her dad set up a record gave a record label 300 grand to sign her right she definitely came from some sort of privileged position who cares she's taylor swift look at her back catalog you know like it's not enough to just go there's a load of money that we're chucking at you or you're related to this person or you've come from here or you work for a booking agent or whatever. If Wargasm aren't very good, they will go away, right? And broadly speaking, I think they're going for that massive, obnoxious, new metal by way of modern TikTok scene stroke emo culture kind of thing. And they're actually, for what the thing they're doing, on record, they're actually quite good at it. I actually don't hate this. I think I actually prefer it to quite a few of the more credible, quote unquote, heavy releases of the last year and a bit or whatever. Like, this is much better than Sticky by Frank Carter. Oh, sure. Okay. EP. Well, uh, this is actually better than that. I, I I can't speak to that, but I know that Sticky was crap. So, fair, fair. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, who saw that coming? That Wargasm would be better than Frank Carr? Not me. Um, I mean, there's stuff on it which, you know, I think is there's, there's some cheesy stuff in it. Like Super Fiend starts with this song, with the, with the line going, how did you fuck up so much today? You woke me up early. Which sounds like it could be good on paper, but it's not. And the drive and the production of the song itself is actually quite good. It's not much of a song. Like, I think that if I have a criticism about a lot of this, is like a lot of this is big, booming, new metal bluster, quite dated electronic drum and bass effect stuff, mm-hmm. which sound like they come from an era. But look, Kane Hill got away with it. You know? Mm, no, <laughs> well, I'm not sure they did get away with it for that long. But also, I think Kane Hill had songs. Like, I thought they had songs that actually, they, they had songs that fit the venues they were being booked to play. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's uh the drink fuck fight love on Drildo. I mean, it's so daft. It's well daft. But you know, I like Limp Biscuit. Mm. It's actually pretty catchy. There's a line in Drildo where he says, I sleep with both eyes open and both eyes are a weapon. What the what could that possibly mean? Uh maybe they're telescopic, like Inspector Gadget, and they can sort of jab you if you're walking past. No. It's not very catchy, I though, see, is it? As a lyric, so it's no. no. <laughs> I have a very bad sleeping disorder, and I also can shoot lasers out of my eyes. <laughs> it's not as good a lyric, admittedly. Um, <laughs> Fuckstar is pretty massive. Could definitely be on the soundtrack to WWE in your house in 1997. Hundred percent, I could. I think could see it on that. It's catchy. The riff is really catchy. I, you know, I can't hate it. I don't hate it. I hate myself for not hating it. But I can't say that I, I hate it. Um, you hear that, everyone? Wargasm is Steve's new favourite band. <laughs> hey, that Mark Hollis of Talk Talk. I, 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 I mean, look, I, I, honestly, I think this is a deeply, deeply silly. They're a silly band. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't mean that as, I don't, I, almost, I don't even mean that as an insult, but they are a silly, OTT, ridiculous, way over the top, massive band. One the pros are one at least they're interesting mm. at least they kind of look interesting two at least production wise and it's all and the sound wise at least it's exciting at least it sort of pumps you up a bit on the bad side it's quite throwaway it's quite um naff in parts i don't think these songs are particularly well written well crafted songs i think they have the odd hook in them here and there mm-hmm. i think the odd riff will get you kind of going oh you know like that but then it will all sort of fizzle away and you'll forget like now i'm thinking about it apart from the um drink fight fuck love on drildo i can remember that i can't really remember what anything sounds like but i just remember when it was on it made me go hey and that was it and i think that's all right i kind of think it's all right i think they're uh, you know they're not bad. I don't know either the people in Wargasm. I'm not saying they're bad people. They might be really, really nice mm. people. I've heard um, Milky is inc- inc- an incredibly nice person. I've also seen some things she tweets and she's got really good taste in music. They're young. They're, they've been put in a position um, that maybe is slightly more than they're quite ready for yet Mm. that is not a terrible crime that is not a terrible crime that is not anything to do with them as people or musicians or artists and i think they're making a pretty good go of it 
for doing the thing that they want to do. It's clear what they want to do. It's clear what they want to do. They're not trying to appeal to Conjurer fans. And they'll be bigger than Conjurer, for example. Like, if Conjurer keep making the kind of music that they're making, they're never going to be bigger than Wargasm. Because people like jumping up and down and shouting things. And they, and they know this, mm. right? This it, it worked for Limp Biscuit. It worked for... Um, I think it's, yeah like fallout boy but like people like this kind of super boisterous loud you know as i i, I do not want to compare them to the prodigy <laughs> liam howlett a, 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 is a genius yeah. but liam howlett understands that shouting you know smack my bitch up he understands that doing that in front of a field full of people will make them lose their minds want to yeah. lose yeah. their mind and i think wargasm are kind of going for that and to sort of be like a bit sneery at them because you know they're not taking metal into you know serious chin strokey like you know they're not they're not going to play arc tangent i actually think there's a there's a kind of level of snobbery that maybe even i've been um guilty of a little bit around wargasm which i think is slightly unfair look i don't love this i don't love it but I get it. I kind of get it. I don't think it's for me, but I kind of get it. And I think hating them because of who their dad is or because of what they look mm. like or because of, you know, where they used to work or something like that is, it's a bit lame. It's a little bit lame. So I would rather not hear that sort of criticism against them. I would rather focus on the music. And the music is, it is what it is. Caught, like Jonathan Davis likes it. Fred Durst likes it. Of course they do. This is the type of music that they yeah, make. Yeah. I don't think they're wargasm as good as making those things as, you know, there's no Wes Borland or Jonathan Davis in wargasm as far as I can mm. see. There's no Mike Shinoda in wargasm. There's no Liam Howlett as far as I can see. But, you know, it's hardly the, you know, it's hardly the worst. I mean, I, thing i've ever heard not only for the purposes of reviewing it and you know kind of doing a sort of reasonably professional job of appearing on the microphone with you i wish i'd heard this because i would like to have compared this to kind of my feelings on sports team because i think i i have certainly been guilty of being snobby about wargasm and sort of you know maybe saying uh they they got there quickly didn't they and undeservedly so and to be fair i still you know on the strength of what you're saying about this mixtape and the stuff i have heard from them before I still don't think they've quite earned the spots they're playing, but do I hate them totally? No, I don't. I don't hate them as individuals. I don't massively hate the band as a kind of as a as a unit. And as you say, actually, you know, Milky does seem to have pretty good taste. I saw her at Turnstile at the Roundhouse. So good, mm -hmm. good on her. I mean, you know, and also, I think it's probably worth saying as well. You know, you like the people will decide yeah right you say oh they haven't earned those slots well if people want to go and see them yes they have yeah no that's a fair point i suppose it's just thinking about you know bands who who i you know whether they're kind of artistically worthy or whatever but these bands that you know you and i really like there are loads of bands we really like like palm reader or whatever you know i don't think palm reader are going to be doing the main stage at download they're not going to be doing the o2 kentish town forum anytime soon are they but you'd hope that they would have got a little bit more of a groundswell. I suppose it just feels a bit unfair that Wargasm have got off to this flying start. But then that is a really childish way to think about it. I think 
you know you're right i think yeah i mean look look there are bands that have been around you know the strokes before they had an album out played them were booked for the third stage at reading got moved to the second stage got moved up to the main stage within the space of a few weeks because the hype surrounding them was mm-hmm. so massive that everybody wanted to see them i was one of them and i saw it and i was like oh it's just the hype but then the album came out and everyone went oh my god the album's really good it is actually really good and the second album came out is even better and now the strokes headline festivals the world over yeah. and this shit has been forgotten about that kind of early thing of that being a quote-unquote hype band has completely been forgotten about and either Wargasm will make some great songs and they will be great live and loads of people will hear it and go this is really good I don't care mm. I'm gonna go and watch them anyway or people will go look at this they're playing these big venues I've just listened to them I don't get it why are they doing this and they'll go away and yeah. people getting uppity about it I don't actually think it really matters because you know like when I saw the download pilot I was like how the hell is this band above bleed from within who have been around you know released loads of albums have been around for ages like how has that happened right but they got a bigger crowd than bleed from within fair play that's that's economics i'm afraid guys that's a free market economy right. and that's what's going to happen all right quasi quarting <laughs> <laughs> didn't know you like wargo so much chancellor <laughs> um but, but you know that's just the way it is you know, however they get there, you know, you can get there, but you you know, there's been plenty of bands that have been massively, massively hyped over the years. Do you remember Battlecross? James Hetfield going, oh, check out Battlecross. They're a thrash band. They're great. I'm going to put them on main stage at Orion. They're going off on tour with Metallica. They had all this Metallica stuff, Battlecross. Oh, yeah, you'll love, you'll love Battlecross, guys. If you love Metallica, you'll love Battlecross. You'll see you'll it rings a bell, your brain. I don't remember them, no. No one cared because they weren't very good. Yeah. Job for a Cowboy. Oh, they're massive on... You know, MySpace, MySpace yeah. and whatnot. Oh my God, job for a cowboy. They're the next big thing in metal. They're on front cover Terrorizer. Five Ks in Kerrang. They've, they've only done four gigs. And they went out and took bloody a Monomath out and tore them. They got roasted every single night. Yeah. And then, pff, oh, it wasn't a Monomath. It was a Bitchery or something like that. I can't remember. But anyway, they went out and tore and everyone just went, oh my God, they're rubbish, aren't they? They're absolutely rubbish. Mm-hmm. And then they just went away. So, you know, that is what might happen to Wargasm. Or people will go, this is actually quite good. I mean, at the moment... It's, this has not made me go, I'm going to go and see Wargasm. But it has made me go, I can see why people might want to go and see Wargasm on the strength of this mm-hmm. mixtape. Because they'll probably go, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy a big old can of Monster Energy drink. I'm going to neck it. I'm going to smash it in my own face. I'm going to shove the smash can up my bum hole. And then I'm going to run into a crowd of 2,000 people, all high on carbonated fizzy drinks i'm going to swing my fists around i'm going to punch myself in the face i'm going to get really sweaty i'm going to fall on the floor get dragged out eat a kebab vomit on my best friend's lap go to sleep wake up at four o'clock the next afternoon with willy wank written on my face in indelible marker and that's a good weekend for some people sam also sounds like a set of sports team lyrics to be honest (laughs) <laughs> see i didn't even uh, look enough into sports team to know that was a thing anyway explicit the mixtape with three x's i think you need three x's there, guys. by wargasm is is out is out now uh and that is it that's the end of the show oh there is one last thing i think we need to do have a quick game of the old not our game but it's a snog warrior void isn't it elliot from twitter's snog maria void game yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do that. We're going to actually end the show like this. So uh, I put the call out on Twitter for people to suggest 
a snog marry avoid i'm gonna do this every week as i said at true cop pulp true cup oh gosh oh god too long yeah too many sports team lyrics from these guys. <laughs> true at True Cult Pop on Twitter. I will before we record the show put the call out for um, your suggestions for a Snog Marry Avoid. I've got one that I've picked that I'm going to give to you, and you are going to pick one from our suggestions. Let's hope it's not the same one. Let, let's hope be not, because I have already got let's one. Let's hope so not. We'll find out. Good. Go on. Well, I tell you what. Uh, uh, we started with you last week, so we start with me this week. Go on, Sam. From at Ethe Ouchgray. Faith no more, Deftones, Nine Inch Nails. Oh, well, this feels deeply unfair. I have to say, this is two weeks running now where I've basically, you've just picked all my favourite bands (laughs) ever. Well, it will get easier as we go What's going to be, next week it's going to be bloody Depeche Mode, Bonjour and... (laughs) Just any Cadbury's chocolate. That's going to be what it is next week because you're trying to stitch me up. I don't think Bonjour's a recording artist, so you're probably safe there. No, as opposed to Cadbury's chocolate, which is they, they've had a, a lot of big plat- hits. Platinum Grammy winning. Uh, so it's Deftones, Faith No More, and Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, boy. Right now, this is really, really hard. Yeah, really, 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 really hard. I'm gonna avoid Deftones. Oh, okay. Because I just think Stefan Chino. At each other's throats all the time. Mm. You can't go anywhere with Steph anyway now, can <laughs> no, you? No, he's not allowed in any country. So you're going like, we're going, oh, I've booked, I've booked a week in the, the Algarve. And he's like, well, I can't go because I won't fly. <laughs> and you're like, oh, really? So we got, where are we going? Skegness. I don't want to go. Not again. We go to Weymouth. A weekend in Weymouth at the end of September. Come on, Steph. I need to do better than this. Uh, you know, no shade on the other guys. I don't know the bass player, so I'm a bit like, well, oh yeah, you, 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 I can't bring a new man into my <laughs> home without knowing him. Love Chino, love Frank. I love Steph. I still love Steph. I've spoken to Steph before. He's a good dude, um, and I love Abe as well. So it would be hard for me to avoid that, De- but I'm going to avoid Deftones. I think I'm going to have to snog Nine Inch Nails. Because I just can't be around that level of negativity mm. for too long. He's hard work, isn't he, Trent Reznor? Yeah. yeah. He's hard work. He's quite, you know, quite you a couldn't... misery guts. <laughs> he is. He wouldn't want to do... Again, there's not been able to do anything with Steph. If you're married to Trent, like, it's never going to be good enough for him, is it? He's such a perfectionist. Yeah. I've made us a, a lovely steak dinner, Trent, for di- for dinner. Oh, that's not great. I hope you've done it medium rare. Oh, it's slightly, it's slightly more medium. Oh, forget it. <laughs> Throws it on the floor, smashes it up, goes and sits upstairs, writes a piano lament about how you slightly overcooked his steak. I wanted bearnaise sauce, not peppercorn. You're never going to win a Smash. Michelin star bing, with this. Gong, ding, gong, gong. You know I don't like cherry tomatoes. Why didn't you just use a full one and fry that? Like, yeah, I think that would be quite a lot of hard work being married to Trent but on the flip side to that what a hunky man he is mm-hmm. kick quick peck, peck on the cheek with Trent a quick tongue lash around the back of whatever goth <laughs> nightclub we happen to bump into or the Oscars could be yeah, the Oscars yeah. easy couldn't he get invited to an expensive Oscar party with Trent or see him there anyway or go down and, uh, in Camden 
or Cyberdog in Camden. Our eyes meet across Cyberdog in Camden, <laughs> across the l- luminous green collection of dildos, <laughs> flashing <laughs> dildos. Yeah, and yeah, and uh, and you do the deed. So I think that would be that. Whereas with Faith No More, they're fun guys. Roddy Bottom, clearly a man who knows how to love. We've seen how with his recent thing that he's put out is a man who's happy to show love and affection to people that he loves so i think he'd be a very tender caring husband um billy gould i've spoken to before is a lovely man mike borden always looks like he's a nice dude don't know much about john hudson but you know, he's great isn't not it? the main yeah. one anyway is he? he's good he's good isn't he and then you got mike Patton, who i've would have been terrified of before but then i interviewed him last year and he was a delight, an absolute delight. Um, and I think of those three bands as well. Faith No More are actually my favourite of those mm. three. Faith No More are my legit second favourite band of all time ever. So I would happily see out my days in old age, surrounded by the members of Faith No More, white picket fence, sitting out on the veranda, singing BG songs mm. in a completely non-ironic way. Ah, oh, happy days. They... they- they would be my pick for marry of those three as well because of course they care mm. a lot <laughs> <laughs> they do yeah uh so that's a small victory oh everything's ruined now oh anyway uh kelsey grammar we're doing the butt rock edition for you this Ooh, week son a little bit easier on. creed godsmack breaking benjamin go oh fucking hell um this is well, easy. I'd have to avoid Godsmack, obviously. They seem like bellends. Um, I don't know Breaking Benjamin, so I guess I'm going to snog them mm-hmm. just because it's something yeah. I can choose to forget. I can drink to forget about that. And by default, I'll marry mm-hmm. Creed because at least March Ramonti would be there. Like, Hopefully, Scott Stapp would be quite a distant lover. <laughs> I think he would be, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, mate, that's my exact would be my same answer. Yeah, I mean, Godsmack, they just seem like a bunch of tools, don't they? And they they love themselves so much. So, yeah, just don't don't need that negativity in my life. You, you, you don't, don't need, need shit. You don't need them hanging around, do you? Pretending they, to be Jerry They Cantrell. need me. They need me more than I need them, definitely. Yeah. Again, yeah. I don't know much about Breaking Benjamin, so I'm taking a risk there. But yeah. Creed, you're right. I, I, Mark Tremonte is lovely. I've interviewed Mark Tremonte a bunch of times. He's an absolute lad. He's an absolute lad. He's a lovely man. I would happily marry Mark Tremonte. In fact, I would marry Mark. I want to marry Mark Tremonte. Away from the confines of this entire ludicrous thing that we've got going on here, I would marry Mark Tremonte. He's nice. He would be a nice person to be married to. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Creed, you know, they're a reasonably kind of inoffensive but rock band, aren't they? I don't think they've ever done anything too egregious in the in the vein of a Godsmack or something like that who's just made some interminable shite. But I don't like Creed's music, and that does predominantly come down to, you know, Scott's involvement. But even then, you could have a laugh, couldn't you? I'm sure he's not too proud to occasionally have a bit of a laugh at how bad his yarling is. Oh, mate, he's quite serious. Well, he won't be under my roof. <laughs> got to learn to love himself. I thought, I don't, I actually, I think, he's got to learn to hate himself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Also, you know, he's got he's, he's had his issues. Yeah. And, He'd be you know, phoning just, up like... Where's Scott? Has anyone seen texting his friends? Has anyone seen Scott? Where is he? He's supposed to be home an hour ago. Yeah, but I want a project. I want someone to fix because that's the key to any good relationship. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely. one of them, are you? Mm, well, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. All right, good. Well, they, I, I hope 
that has answered your Twitter questions regarding that quite odd little quite odd little thing we'll be back next week thank you very much for listening as i said go over to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and uh we will see you over there for a special on take that if you listen to this on the day the podcast comes out it'll be out tomorrow be lovely times progress we're going to be talking about we've got the old pink floyd special as well and um Della soul coming next on the the two classic albums should be a fun time and we're back next week as i said so thanks very much for listening everyone and goodbye <laughs>